everybody and welcome to episode number 26 of the Puro Puro podcast. This is part number three of our look at um, wrestlers from the former Soviet Union in Japanese professional wrestling. I am George Thompson. With me, as always, I have Daniel Baker and David Forrest. How are you, fellas? Hello. It's Christmas. It's Eurovision week. What a time to be alive. We're, we're going all the way, George. Moldova, Trinulatul. The train is going all the way. The train is going east to west. Kijanev to Bucharest. We're, go- we're on it. <laughs> <laughs> for fuck's sake yeah 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 uh, uh, meanwhile um uh, the, the social democrat reformists in ireland are leading us to the republic so i'm i'm delighted um yeah I, <laughs> yeah uh, shout out to the lads um yes like, yeah yeah for, yeah for their yeah. stunning victory in the northern irish elections like whatever you think of uh of Sinn fein it is very very funny <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah i mean we'd like we, we, we'd like we'd like to dedicate this episode to um all the lads in the h blocks uh so uh yeah <laughs> so yes yeah. The shinners. And uh, so, uh, yeah. And um, I think just to uh, just to say at the outset, um, we did have a a think about, okay, are we still going to do this series considering all the stuff that's been uh, going on uh, in countries that were in the Soviet Union? And uh, I mean, firstly, and I I think this should hardly go without saying, but um, as leftist and anti-imperialist, what you will not hear on this episode of the podcast or any other is any support for Vladimir Putin, the abhorrent war of you know extermination and conquest and the decayed fascist state apparatus of the russian federation you know despite what paul mason and george monbiot would like you to believe the left is not full of frothing putin apologists so like there's not going to be any of that shit uh, on this episode um, what do you but... mean george it's july 2019 when we're recording this you know kyrgyzstan's about to have some democratic elections it will go all fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and you know there has been some Leaving aside the the issue of um, you know, practical and material solidarity with the people of Ukraine, which which we can all agree is absolutely necessary, um, there has also been uh, what you might term cultural boycott of uh, of Russia with things such as um, them getting banned from the World Cup and uh, and Eurovision, which is one of those things where it's like okay, yeah, there is a long tradition of you know dodgy regimes using things like that for propaganda purposes uh, and also sanctions against uh, individuals uh, sportsmen who have links to the putin regime or they have voiced support of it uh, just one example the um, uh, chess grandmaster sergey kayakin a former world championship challenger who's long been a disgusting simp for vladimir putin uh he was actually born in ukraine and defected to russia in about 2012 which like just shows you how absolutely cooked he is uh he's just been coming out with all this shit like praise to our glorious leader all of these massacres were fake and it's like yeah get him the fuck out of here like <laughs> like he needs to not be allowed to play in any chess tournament for the rest of his hopefully short life but then you've had you know uh people going uh a little bit further than this and we've had things such as well uh i think the cardiff philharmonic orchestra cancelling a tchaikovsky program uh, there's been attempts to remove tolstoy and dostoevsky from reading lists in america and wh- when you get down to things like that that doesn't so all these fuckers died about 100 years ago and have absolutely nothing to do with the uh with the current situation um that doesn't seem to me to be of any practical benefit and even arguably counterproductive when you consider like what of putin's rather what i mean basically what he's trying to do is um concoct a sort of siege mentality where it's like russia against the rest of the world and one of his arguments is that the rest of the world is russophobic and you kind of have to ask yourself if you're just saying right we can't listen to this music because they they they, they died 100 years ago but they're still russian so get get them to fuck yeah. like is that is that yeah, more, you know or less likely to make people believe putin's argument like so like yeah, just no, for, 
purely strategic reasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. And you know, also as well, just like very briefly, just to say that, like, you know, one of the uh, one of the the the, the prime criticisms of the anti-Putin, like Russian, like uh, you, you know, left um, is uh, is that uh, uh, you know, Putin is um, is, a, is is a former KGB member turned virulent anti-communist in just about every way that you could possibly imagine so uh, yeah, you yeah know, he's like, like um, any- we stand in solidarity with the very brave people in, in russia especially the russian left who are putting themselves at risk every day protesting against the war um you yeah know? So, yeah yeah and, quite yeah, simple and, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely and yeah that's the thing like putin like maybe a former kgb agent uh, uh, is basically because if he wanted to get into like dodgy espionage shit like that was the only game in town obviously but like he's not a fucking communist despite what like a lot of people say and like and you know this because literally the first thing he did when the war started was go on this mad unhinged tirade about criticizing the soviet union and specifically vladimir lenin for allowing ukraine a sense of nationhood now this is not to say that the soviet union always behaved well towards ukraine because that is clearly not fucking true read a book at any point in your miserable lives but um you, you know that is just to say that like okay like he is very specifically um made a break from the soviet union in terms of his rhetoric and also like you know the actual things uh, he's, yeah. he's done. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so the the idea that he's that he's you know that that, that this is just an example of like the, you know the, uh, the 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 long Soviet Union is just no it's 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 nonsense. bullshit. He is an authoritarian and and they're the similarity yes, of, of his yeah. of his own of his own type and brand and we should address him yeah. as such. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And the sanctioning of oligarchs straight away, I mean, shows you you know all these oligarchs have ties. You know, like got their private capital has been basically state-owned things that were then like disbanded and then sold off and. Yeah, you know, people like Roman Abramovich. Just want to mention, it is incredibly funny that Chelsea are in the mud and can't sell like commemorative mugs. Yeah, very, very funny. Yeah, like it's like, well, I, I, I never thought these sanctions would affect would affect my Russian-owned football club. It's like, yeah, well, obviously they fucking will. Just, just a, but, but yeah, it's 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 good that the sanctions against people who've benefited from the oligarchy, and it's also good that Chelsea specifically are getting sanctioned as well. Um, I, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I support an incredibly ethically sound football club, so I, I, I was <laughs> yeah, Manchester City. You know, yeah, so yeah. I, I was extremely delighted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, right. yeah, that that's fine. Getting rid of the meerkat from the from the adverts. Uh, because he is a Russian nobleman is maybe may taking it a bit far and it, it's obviously nowhere near uh, uh, you know as serious a form of barbarism as the actual fucking war but like you know for for these reasons <laughs> there, there is a kind of I, I get that people want to feel like they're doing something but like you're not actually doing something in this sense um, and I, I think the the second reason really is that um, you know, it, it may be tempting not to just want to think about Russia at the moment with everything that's going on in the news or want to discuss it. But a people in Ukraine don't have the luxury of not thinking about Russia um, at present. And b part of what we've been trying to do with this series is placing what we're talking about in its historical context in the former Soviet Union and saying, OK, what does it tell us about about this history and what we're doing gradually through these episodes is trying to chart how we got to this point how the soviet union turned into what we have now and if you're not you know if you're not going to discuss this history 
who abetted Putin in his rise, both within Russia and in the West, then you're not actually going to be able to diagnose the causes of the, you know, the current horrendous situation that we have and what might have been done differently in order to prevent it and what we might do in the future to mitigate the sort of you know, creeping global fascism of which Putin is one of the most uh, serious symbols. And and the third reason is half the country we're talking about, are like from Georgia or Kazakhstan or thing. Anyway. Yeah. And like certainly Georgia has its own uh, has had its own oppression by Russia within within recent memory. And uh, and look, look, we're not telling anyone how to feel. We're certainly not telling anyone who's actually caught up in all this awful shit how to feel. And if you if you honestly don't want to think about you know Russia at the moment, then honestly that's absolutely fair enough. And you know we shall see you uh, along the road. But for all those reasons, we've decided that we do want to uh, continue with this series, and um, hopefully we'll be able to help everyone take their minds off all of the you know the horrendous like history that we are uh, currently living through. So yeah, that's that's basically I think pretty decent summation of our uh, position on this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, so no, no complaints here. No, absolutely. So um, what we're doing in this episode, as we said last time in episode 25, uh, is we are looking at people who were not part of this initial wave of amateur wrestlers from the former Soviet Union who wound up in New Japan and thereafter in UWFI. The, so there were other combat athletes from the former Soviet Union who went over to Japan in the 1990s. They were not part of this initial deal, which was made with the Sports Ministry of the Soviet Union. They were, you know, for want of a better word, freelancers because of the uh, liberalization of the of the market and you know, people's individual freedoms in uh, in Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. These athletes were able to travel to Japan and they fetched up in promotions other than New Japan and UWFI. And we're going to talk about some of them today. We've got uh, six matches for you all but one of which take place in uh, Fighting Network Rings, the shoot-style promotion. But we're going to start off with a um, match that took place in a company that I don't think we have actually covered since episode two, way back in the Frosty Chocolate Milkshakes days. Um, so uh, the year is 1991, the date is the 29th of May, and we have um, Grigory Verichev um, versus Atsushi Anita. So... Um, I, this Two is the... shoot style aces. <laughs> yeah. The pinnacle of grappling here. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I, mean, I mean, when you think when you think shoot style, you think you know <laughs> that you think Volkan, uh, you know you th- you think Yoshiaki Fujiwara, you think yeah. you know uh, 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 you know the, the Gotch, and you think the big man himself at Sushi <laughs> Anita. Yeah, yeah. It, Do you remember? It's... I think it was 2019 where it was. It was the year where Sushi Anita absolutely destroyed his leg and basically worked the entire year just injecting painkillers. Oh yeah, like every time. Uh, but I remember at the end he, he won an award for like best. Some, some like best tag team or something like the Tokyo Sports Awards. Oh and he yeah, came out and he won. He says <laughs> next year I'm going to win best technical wrestler. And I'm like mate, you're like 62 years old and you've got like a shattered pelvis and you're and you wouldn't have even had a chance of winning it when you were really mobile. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love the Tokyo Sports Award. It's just like it's just political bollocks. It's great. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it it, it is the, uh, the 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 Japanese Sporting Eurovision. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. It, genu- it genuinely is, and uh, this is a really interesting era of FMW because generally, if you think about FMW, you think death matches, which is what the promotion would become most famous for. Uh, you know, if you think of things like the exploding barbed wire matches, like the one we covered in episode two, uh, that time they lit the ropes on fire and then had to 
cancel the match after two minutes because they lit the webs on fire too much and a 68 year old mm. man nearly died from smoke inhalation you know that that sort of stuff but <laughs> but the um the promotion fmw the initial was actually stand for frontier martial arts wrestling and in its early days it was known for uh these kind of work shoots which would uh more often than not feature the man himself at sushi and Ita, some of which were good um for example his uh, famous fights against uh, masashi aoyagi in uh, mm. 1989 and some of them were very very bad so which is his uh, fight against the heavyweight boxer Leon Spinks, who, yeah. despite despite being a boxing champion, had very bad punches. <laughs> um, yes. So, so and yeah. and his um, uh, opponent in this match is Grigory Verachev, who looks like Stan Hansen with a mullet, and is a very much a Yadar-looking wrestler. Oh yeah, I mean like like like, like big time, a big big time, big, big big boys bingo daddy vibes here. That's what we've got. Yeah, he's he's wearing a judo gi and kind of reminds me of if Shota Chojishvili could actually work. So um, <laughs> this match is a, uh, it's quite a, we've, I, I like we've got the, we've got the flags at the start as well. Got the flag of Japan, got the flag of the Soviet Union. Yeah, don't get used to seeing that for too much longer at this point in history. Yes, yeah. yeah. Representing the Commonwealth of Independent States is Grigory Verachev. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about why the fuck this was a thing. If yes, I... please do, David. Yeah, 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 please do. Yeah, baffled. yeah, yeah. So I, I did a wee bit of uh, research on this and um, FMW for the the uninitiated, uh, um, as as you'll know, Jordan Daniel, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. Yep. Onita was the darling of Baba in the junior heavyweight scene in all Japan. And in a match with a luchador that's escaping my mind at the moment. Um, oh, right. No masters. <laughs> Someone like that. It, it was. <laughs> you know, or Negro Casas or something like that, but yeah. But um, he basically he slipped on the ring and sh- like tore his uh, ligaments, shattered his kneecap, and um, just like completely destroyed his knee. Basically, was never the same again after it. He was a an agile junior heavyweight flyer who um, basically this this basically ended his career. He was out for well like well over a year. And when he came back, he just didn't have it anymore. He'd lost that yard of pace, so to speak, and basically couldn't do it anymore. Giant Baba absolutely loved Onita and gave him a retirement fund um, because he he viewed Onita as sort of one of his sons, so to speak. So um, Anita decided to use this retirement fund very wisely, investing in lots of products which soon tanked, as (laughs) as we all do. And basically ended up working in construction for a while. Uh, but basically, again, his knees couldn't take it and he, he, he gave in and he decided to return to wrestling. We had to take a more unique approach. So what had happened was that um, he'd obviously been in Memphis before. And oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I was yeah. Gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some incredible uh, wild things in Memphis. I mean, Memphis in general is just an incredible wild promotion. But Anita turned up. For a while and saw a lot of the Lawler brawls against Dundee and stuff like that, and took I mean, that away. He, he also teamed with um, he was in a tag team with Masafuchi um, uh, <laughs> in, in Memphis, and they had the famous um, concession uh, the concession stand brawl as well, which um, uh, you know against um, uh, against the Rock and Roll Express. When he was in Memphis, he learned a lot of sort of the more, shall we say, the scenes we don't like to see in the modern game <laughs> yeah. from um, Memphis. So he learned about how to jive talk a little bit more and kind of 
get the the Anita feature, so to speak, that we talk about now about him being this big rabble rouser and everyone being in trouble for me. Learned that from what like, Jerry Lawler and Memphis and stuff like that. When he, he decided he had to get back at wrestling because he couldn't get a job in construction anymore, he was he was the T boy um, for JWP. Did you know really? this? Like secretary. Yeah, he was a T-boy and secretary for JWP. Amazing. Um, so, um, again, I wish I'd known this about four weeks ago when we recorded Le Grand <laughs> Oof when I mentioned <laughs> this. But yeah, um, so that, that's exactly why you would have got FMW people and JWP sort of collaborating or, or like, um, oh, with well, you know AJW because he was the T-boy for JWP for a while. But he wanted to get back into wrestling and obviously had to change his style. But he decided what to do. the the old the old classic. He decided um, to challenge UWF to a, sh- a shoot fight. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, right, he, he laid out a challenge in like newspapers or something. Because at this time there wasn't really any independent promotion. It was just like New Japan, Old Japan, UWF, and that was that was pretty much about it um, at the time. And he laid out the challenge where he was going to come to UWF and he wanted to fight someone in a shoot fight. But he was proper going in the full. Jerry Lawler and the the empty arena match. Uh, Terry Funk just do like just throwing shit at them, and it, it caused this great scene where he turned up without a ticket, and he legitimately chucked him out because this wasn't a thing they had agreed to. He just turned <laughs> out <laughs> to fill in a shit, and um, basically UWF refused to let him wrestle, and he decided right, well what I'm going to do is that UWF say that they're real fighting, so what I'll do is I will just fight judoka and karate people and beat them. He's just doing the whole Inoki strong style thing of uh, let's get, yeah. you know, the 1988, who who won the bronze medal at the 1988 Olympics? Well, I'll tell you who did, Grigory Verichev. Um, oh. And he came in and yeah, there was a whole string of like karateka and judoka that came over just to fight Onita to, to it's put on him over. It's so, it's so funny. Like, Onita, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you know, like when Nobuhiko Takada would uh, throw out all these challenges to like all Japan and New Japan, like for like similar reasons, you know, to grandstand, make yourself look like a hard nut, and like you know, that makes sense because he was like a shoot style guy challenging wrestlers who weren't shoot style guys, like not the other way around, which is how I needed yes. it. And, and he's like, what yeah, could what possibly I, go wrong? What if I did like Enoki's whole shtick, but I'm much more physically fucked, even like more fucked than Enoki was in 1991. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's pretty much like permanently patched up from like the the the, the 80s. like literally, and oh, yeah. like you know, like you know, uh, like, like quite literally patched up, and also like you know, in terms of his like actual kind of like non kayfabe shoot like body. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got a bunch of tape on his shoulder. Never mind his knees. When, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. when we've got got this match, it looks like he's just he's just encased it in papier mâché. Um, yeah, but it, it, it looks like someone's done um, like um, uh, it, it, it has made their own. A sort of um, a, a modified Warhammer model of like Glacier, but they <laughs> but they've they've just done the undercoat of the uh, of like you know. Yeah. Oh man! So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean the the opening of this is quite typical of like what Anita was doing at this time because like the amazing thing about this match because like lesser wrestlers would if they were fighting a shoot style guy which is not something they do all the time they would kind of meet them on their turf you know they would rely more on submissions grappling uh strikes no anita takes on grigory verichev just with his normal pro wrestling moveset um and the first the first move is literally him just belting him just like sort of like yeah 
I guess just rushing him like you might you might in the pub. Um, he just and... rushes him with a big fucking clothesline straight out. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely it's absolutely brilliant. He tries to get Vervechev in a submission and then immediately gets it reversed. And... Yeah. How and... briefed do you think Grigory Vervechev was on the clothesline? Because I'm going to say not not briefed enough. Well, the, the thing is no. about Vervechev was he did have a pretty lengthy career in FMW, at least relative to some other shooters. Like he was there for a good couple of years, but this was one of his earlier matches in the. <laughs> promotion i believe so you might have something there david um I, I i do like the i mean the opening of this match is basically like verichev dominating with his like actual martial arts skills yeah. and there's a great thing where he's uh he's kind of doing a twister and then like he kind of lifts anita up like a baby and does a kind of like what's the opposite of a grounded abdominal stretch yeah basically he does that he's not even on the ground um yeah. i i love the, so good. the idea that uh, Anita's face when he was in this like baby cradle was great because I was like, is he selling the fact that he doesn't want to take a back bump? This is how much he doesn't want to take a back bump that he's like yes yeah. agonising when he's in the air at any point. Whatsoever. Yeah, no, no, totally. Because when, when he's first lifted up, like um, you, you think, oh, this this, this is going to be some sort of like you know a, a really impactful throw or something. You know, he, he, he's picking them up like, you know, Cesaro picked people up to fucking suplex them or something. Uh, and, then, and then you sort of notice that actually he's just sort of gone down to a sort of like crouched sort of like middle position and is just sort of going for a kind of like, because uh, at first I thought it was kind of like an o- over the knee kind of like back back wrenching flex sort of thing. Uh, so whether or not has just got it somewhere, whoa, honey, no, 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 I'm not being fucking chucked around by you, big man. <laughs> like, uh, and, and, and then, um, and then, yeah, Anita is, uh, is basically like, Otona no Akachan gay show ga aimasen, goodbye. I'll let people you need to stop words. doing this, George. You need to stop doing this. <laughs> Never. This is like one of the only practical uses for learning Japanese I have. Hey, 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 brother! You got to keep up the gimmick. Come on, brother! <laughs> I can't even do the. I can't even do my Russian anymore. Our roles have reversed. You're gonna have to get really into chess now. <laughs> but um yeah so like um the, the like the first time anita actually manages to lock in a submission though the crowd goes absolutely wild for his um really intense oh, yeah. looking half crab he's like probably like getting his digging his fingernails into the knee joint like just, oh like, yeah yeah burrowing through the gi to like get get at the soft man flesh underneath like it's <laughs> um it's uh sort of oddly sexual but then this is pro wrestling so fuck you and um <laughs> And then I, I what and the other thing I love about Anita where he decides he's gonna do a bit of judo. So he judo oh, oh, It's so good. I see, I see he knows his judo well. <laughs> you won't find that in the textbook. Like Jigoro Kano was not teaching this at the t- <laughs> No. So oh and then he does a single leg leg drop kick off the apron to the floor. Like, that looked painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to be honest, a, a pretty much everything that Anita does in this match looks painful. Whereas more or less everything like that, that you know, that he would do, everything that he does in, in, in kind of a, a, the, the environments that people might be more used to seeing him in. Like th- th- there's a kind of sloppiness and scrappiness, which is deliberate. In this, it, it often seems like he, he hasn't quite got the balance right, because there's parts of this match that are really sort of like, uh, like that get really kind of like transcendent almost at one where he begins to sort of hype up the uh you know the, the real anita drama but there's a few bits here that i know it's like he he, he goes for a sort of enziguri uh, at one point which um w- which would make teneru on a day when he's had about five volume and really can't be fucked 
Just like <laughs> it makes it look like fucking Owen Hart out there. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, it's, like, it's you say that um, you know some of the stuff he does, a lot of the stuff he does in here looks really painful. I would counter this with the John Travolta Simpsons stroke. Okay, that guy looks at John Travolta. Like, yeah, looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a simple leg drop kick off the apron to the floor. Like, I would not recommend that, even if you were like a healthy twenty-two year old, let alone oh. at Sushi and Eater, or who like retired from working construction because it was too arduous, and then decided to do pro wrestling um so <laughs> I, I mean that is literally a bruce springsteen song <laughs> so basically when they, when they get back into the ring more or less the the entirety of the rest of the match is them doing moves to each other and trying to get a 10 count yeah <laughs> like it's it's basically like the last round of uh inoki chochishvili where it's like okay this is the point where they do some moves so like um and i, I really love the um the contrast between uh all of verichev's um suplexes like the belly to belly suplexes and backdrops which all look amazing and then <laughs> Anita, anita's backdrop which does not look amazing uh no. like partially because Verichev is much bigger than him. How Grigori Verichev was not, how he was not in a power chair after this match, I will never know. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the, the, the most horrible grief. stuff, like, towards the back end of the match, this is, like, merely the entree. Oh, yeah, 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 but but you know what, when you talk about the, the 10 counts, right, Yeah. there is, and um, we've possibly spoken about this before in the context um, of mentioning uh, you know, um, uh, uh, some of the hardcore matches that Anita are in where we, where they have the, the infamous FMW buzzer, right? Yeah. There is no one in all of pro wrestling that, in my opinion, can make more out of a countdown of some kind than a sushi on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And, and, and I mean that in the best possible way. Because th- this match, right, it is ultimately pretty forgettable in the big scheme of things, right? Yeah. But, but I, and when I first started watching it, I thought... This will be a pretty, yeah, this will be a pretty messy, if entertaining, slightly mundane 10 minutes that I'll forget about. But by the time it gets, this is what Onita's so good at, man. By the time he gets to the, having to make his way up from the mat on, on the count out, I am fucking gripped. There is no one that does it better than him. I'm totally in there when he's yeah, doing it. He's, 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 he avoids a 29 count because it was a 29 count. He got up at nine, immediately fell back down. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If this, this is... was a legitimate boxing ref or like, you know, <laughs> yeah, the guys in the UFC, there is no chance. To the ER. No. <laughs> no chance. Like, yeah, he, better, better on countdowns than Richard Whiteley. Uh, yeah, but yeah, oh, rest in peace. It's, yeah, that's the thing. It's it's a it's a good uh, it's a good point you made, Daniel. Because like, yeah, the middle stretch of the match is kind of uh, it's fairly road. So basically, all of my notes are just like a move happened and then it got a six count. Another move happened and then it got a three count. Then the next move got a six count. And uh, and then you know, uh, sorry, uh, Anita does a fuck ugly Enzigiri. Um I wonder why I, I wonder why I was about to say Anoki does a fucking ugly end to gear as a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, it's like when you get towards the end of the match, like Anita's selling in a, his style of selling in a weird way actually works really well for a really? tank. Yeah, it does. Because like, and the bit you mentioned, he's absolutely like, chewing the scenery, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's so, <laughs> he gets, it's really Amtram, but in the best possible way. He beats a nine count, and then he, he like goes back to the floor, and then he beats another nine count, and then he has to take another nine count. And, uh, do, 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 do you know what it actually reminded me of? You, you say Amdram, David. But I had another uh, uh, thought, thought uh, when, when it came to sort of like acting and drama. For me, this is the equivalent of um, uh, the uh, the late period Scorsese um, um, uh, uh, film. Now, I think pretty much all Scorsese after maybe after hours, maybe a little bit later, is is pretty mediocre. However, um, that uh, the film I'm talking about here is The Departed. Right mm-hmm. now, The Departed. 
um, features, um, you know, um, it's, it's Matt Damon. It's Matt Damon, isn't it? it yeah, um, it's, it's, the cast is insane. It's like Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack Nicholson. It's Matt Damon, Leonardo Rocky DiCaprio. Two, two, two actors that um, I, I don't care what anyone says. I've spoken about Leonardo DiCaprio elsewhere. He is a human sprout. He is a terrible actor. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, you know, Matt Damon is, um, is, is the acting equivalent of a bowl of porridge without any cinnamon, without any fucking honey or anything. However, however, that film does feature a bravura scene-chewing performance from none other than Big Jackie himself, Mr. Oh, Jack, yeah, Jack, he's Jack Nicholson, uh, who is obviously incredible because he's fucking Jack Nicholson, right? Um, and that was what I was reminded of. It's like you, you, you've got this this guy, you know, who is, um, you know, like he's he's fairly new, uh, uh, new to this sort of stuff. He's um, he, he's getting through the match. He, he, he looks good. He's got some good, some good throws, some good holds and stuff like that. But in terms of like, you know, the facial expressions and ramping up the drama, he's in there with an absolute, you know, scene chewer. Yeah. Uh, it's great. What is the shoot style it's, equivalent it's... of Ray Winston's accent in The Departed? And why is it Masada <laughs> at the first blood sport? <laughs> Um, I, I, I was also thinking of him. Have you, have you seen House of Gucci? With, uh, with Jared Leto. Not, I'm doing Italian, Italian accents. Mamma mia! <laughs> I, What's I, the I, matter, I, you? Hey! Hey! <laughs> I was not interested in watching that film at all, but then I heard that everyone is doing like weird Italian accents. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I'm all in on this. I want like I want Lady <laughs> yeah. Gaga just uh, doing that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, uh, Daniel, like the dra- the drama is great, and like especially that desperation lariat uh, Anita yeah. hits after that successive nine count spot, which oh, just knocks Verichev purely out the ring. And uh, the the um, the the closing stretch is is basically all Anita. After that, there's like one um, time uh, Verichev counters the abdominal stretch, which is uh, Anita's sort of submission finisher, which in itself is quite funny, because I think even by 1991, that was kind of antiquated as a movie. Yeah. And, and the match, like, Wilbur Snyder has long since uh, passed from the world of the squared <laughs> circle. Um, and, uh, but then, like, it's basically just a need to do a load of moves. At the end, he gets a backdrop for six. And then, for some reason, he does a running bulldog. And it's clear Verachev has absolutely yeah. fuck all idea how to take it. It's amazing. I literally, I, 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 I both popped and laughed at the same time. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Like, you fall, it's like, you know how if you cut a tree, right, <laughs> but you don't cut it in the right place and you kind of have to push it and kind of, you know, you have to keep yeah. cutting it and it, it kind of keeps falling really, really, really slowly and you just keep cutting it to try and get it down. That was Finitiv going down for this bulldog. He Amazing. went like he, he went down in like 0.1 times slow motion. Yeah, it, it was incredible. Like, and uh, yeah, it's speak, speaking of bad landings. Um, so... I've never seen someone take a bulldog on their knees. <laughs> Even Kane <laughs> has never done that. <laughs> He takes everything on his knees, even a DDT. <laughs> like... The only time I've ever seen uh, anyone take a bulldog on their knees is on one of uh, uh, Terry Riley's Christmas DVDs. Uh, so um, yeah, uh... <laughs> that was worth, that was worth the wait. It's good, it's good, good line. Um, so yeah, he gets uh, Anita um, after the bulldog hits a uh, the Thunderfire power bomb, which. Um, was often pretty sloppy on people who were much smaller than Anita, let alone people who were bigger. So it yeah, looks like a fucking ganso bomb. It 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 does like <laughs> like the, you know you know the famous match where Chris Jericho accidentally knocked Anita out with the lion salt and basically had to 
yes. Thunderfire Powerbomb himself. Like, that looked better than this one. And yeah. and the second one that ends the match is even worse. We, and in, and between them, oh. we have Vemichev taking a DDT in, shall we say, an idiosyncratic manner. I think the best way to describe it, the first Powerbomb could be described as wavy gravy, right? The second one could be described as wavy gravy with cheese and curry sauce and a big buttered roll with chips. <laughs> because... Good grief. I mean, I, I would say he was folded like an accordion. You cannot fold an accordion like this. This is like if you got one of those machines that you fold paper seven times yeah. and, and put an accordion for it, it still wouldn't look as bad as this. Oh, God. It's, it's like, that's the finish, obviously. <laughs> like. Um, I, I was just, hoping for a one kick out at Joshi Bridge. <laughs> if his neck isn't in, like fucking in shards of glass. His, his neck is now like a slinky. <laughs> Oh, oh my god it's, it's really like th- this this match was but i don't know what i was expecting from this it probably looked something like this i maybe thought anita would do more shoot style stuff but i'm really glad he didn't because yeah. the spectacle of a judo guy against a guy who is just wrestling a normal match <laughs> with shoot style so <laughs> it's a lot of fun like it, it's classic anita nonsense yeah brilliant I would agree. It's, I mean, you, you all know my love for Anita, and a lot of yes. it is from nonsense like this. Like, this isn't, like, no, no way a remotely good wrestling match, but I don't like no. remotely good wrestling matches. I like this no. girl fucking nonsense. It's, like, this it's is the, brilliant. It's the, it's the Roger Ebert quote about the mummy. You can say nothing in its favour except you were thoroughly entertained by it. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, you'll, you'll never beat the 28 count that he got from, <laughs> which he then got up in and immediately fell down after he hit the clothesline for another, like, 11 count because the guy was out on the fucking floor. Yeah, it's... it's it, he it, just, it, it, honestly, it's he, he, mil- he milks it harder than Mike Gates. Like, like seriously. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, like, that was that was the FMW match. Hope you enjoy enjoyed it because there's a hell of a lot of uh, of uh, just like an average Friday night with Dan Baker. There's a hell of a lot of rings to come. <laughs> there's, there's um so yeah it's we've, been too long. It really has. Um so yeah, yeah speak for yourself. Next... <laughs> so our our next match to a very different uh, promotion now we are going to do the first of five matches from fighting network rings uh this one comes from the 21st of august 1992 it is akira maeda the founder and ace if you like of rings versus his opponent andrei kopolov who has got a magnificent tash and a good case of male pattern baldness very much a yadar wrestler in the same way the Verichev was for different reasons yeah he's a, he's, a, he's a real jordan lechkov kind of a, a oh. looking guy very, very good shout, yeah. Um, like uh, Jordan, per- sorry, is it Jordan or Jordan? I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Jordan, but, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The the uh, we we love we love some early male pattern baldness uh, on this podcast. Prematurely <laughs> prematurely withered men. There'll be a very good one in a in a um uh, another rings match that we cover later in the uh, later in the episode. But um uh, to start with, let's talk about Akira Maeda. So we've actually talked about Maeda before on the podcast. Covered one of his matches in his alter ego of Quick Kick Lee in uh, World of Sports. <laughs> Um, so, uh, he is very over in this match as well. He might've been, he was legitimately, uh, one of the biggest names in Japanese wrestling in the late eighties. Um, after coming back to new Japan from UWF in uh, 1987. Um, and if, yeah, if you, um, we've, we've, we've pimped these on the podcast countless times, but those five on five matches between new Japan and UWF, uh, they're, they're all yeah. fantastic. Uh, but one of the reasons 
for those matches taking place was that Maeda was actually such a big name. He was basically the one A to Enoki's one. Maeda w- would refuse to put Enoki over and he had enough stroke to do that. And like, you know, that's stuck in Enoki's core as well. So that told you the level of star uh, that you're dealing with uh, here. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, one one of the most famous shithouses in all of wrestling. Oh, well, yeah. He's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, just just a massive. He's like some he's like some far right anti Korean guy now. That does not surprise me. Well, he's well, fucking, well, well, he's well, well, Korean. I mean, he's got he's got a history of kicking Koreans in the face as hard as possible and yes. giving them fucking bruised eye sockets, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, there, there is that. He also tried to shoot fight Andre the Giant. Yeah, um, as you so, do. So there is that. One of the only guys dumb enough to actually try that. Um, I, out of the three people who left the second version of the UWF and formed their own promotions, there was um, Nobuhiko Takada, who formed UWFI, and Yoshiaki Fujiwara, who formed PWFG. Uh, Maeda is you know, by far the, the biggest name at the time that yeah. that happened, even though UWFI became the most successful of those promotions more so than rings actually uh, ended up being takada built himself into a star using his promotion whereas maeda was was never really like the level of star in rings as he had been in in new japan even though like rings yeah has he did very well and it has a sort of cult status even now amongst wrestling fans the product was really um you know more more realistic than than UWFI was and it did morph into a fully fledged shoot style promotion um you know towards the back end of the of the late 90s and you know, early early 2000s so uh but yeah and uh he's a um yeah i mean he's he's, and he's a big guy maeda is as well so i guess that's a part of the uh, part of the appeal i guess and, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, that's just actually reminded me as a placeholder note. I must re- um, re- remind us to we one day need to cover one of our favorite matches ever, which is the Maeda versus Fujiwara um, uh, uh, match where he bleeds like a stuck pig. <laughs> oh, I bet that is very good. But then Yoshiaki Fujiwara is in it, so that exactly. really doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you not seen that? Uh, I I must I think I have like years. Yeah, ago. it's it's great. It's great. Well, we'll get we'll get around to it at some point in the podcast. Definitely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it. Yeah, um, definitely. It's uh, so th- this 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 match. Um, it's um, I hope you like heel hooks <laughs> because there are about fifty three of them. Uh, what's for breakfast? Heel hooks. What's for lunch? Heel hooks again. Guess what's for dinner? Heel hooks. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's a night of heel hooks. We've got uh, we've got here. It's um, it sets the 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 tempo for this. But I mean, the 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 opening is kind of uh, at least. A bit more interesting than some of the uh, the later things in the match ends up being is is the classic feeling out process of a common or garden shoot style match. There's some tentative kicks, there's some grappling. Someone tries an armbar, someone tries a heel hook. Get used to me saying that. And um, then there is a they seem to be trying to twist each other into some just grotesque shapes, um, like uh, uh, at the start, real real pretzel stuff. Uh, which... Proper contortion shit. Uh, this, yeah. this is like yeah you, you you could probably get a job in a in the circus being stuffed into wee boxes um <laughs> with this sort of level of contortion yeah you know, i think i think you'll find that uh, mi5 agent zipped himself into that bag david <laughs> there was um no foul yeah, play I, I, I had a note that just said these sequences were like the most cumbersome maestro lucha spots i've ever seen but like 
like disastrously interpreted interpreted so as they just look actually dangerous yeah 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 it's um it's uh it's very it's very much like that and like probably better than the torturous uh uh maestro lucha stuff which i very much have to be in the right mood for um but um the uh yeah it's it's um there's there's not a huge amount of of i guess narrative you would uh really say in this match it's I don't know, is plotting the right word? Yeah. I watched this on a mixture of 1.25, 1.5 times speed. <laughs> so this is great. <laughs> look, <laughs> look like Volcan versus Yeah, I was going to say, you're like, shit. It's like... Real, real quick pace to this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's, that's what I should have done, um, uh, actually. Uh, I mean, the, the what, what interest there is in this match, primarily... Um, results from the moments which I, I don't think were necessarily in, intentional, uh, such as a um, well, the, there is there is a bit where Maeda does uh, a horrible belly to belly to Kopilov right onto his head, which is the thing you would expect from the Russian. Uh, really, yeah. like they're the ones who tend to all of their throws are either uh, picture perfect, as with the uh, Grigory Verachev ones in the previous match, or they look absolutely horrible. And uh, Maeda's like, like, I'm not, I'm not going to let any foreigner uh, outdo me in the horrendously dangerous throw stakes. So I'll dump them on their head. <laughs> Class, classic Maeda. <laughs> A classic Jape. <laughs> you know what? You know, you know what Maeda reminds me of, right? I, I went to high school with this guy. I, I, I won't say his name, because he left it like year two or three because uh, he, uh, basically he was a big lad and he threw his weight around and he fancied himself as a bit of a hard man. But when you look back on it, it was actually he was actually one of those lads that that put the fear of God into like all of us like skinny little like punk goths, but actually hadn't didn't have any pals from the people that were actually hard and tough. I yes. was a bit of a sort of a, a bit of a sort of a um uh you know um a flat track bully uh, uh basically <laughs> the grand uh, of school is bullying. This like how, <laughs> yeah. Is this like how they use Mark Henry as like the, the the you know the guy that you know if you want to build a guy up you want him to look huge you be, have him beat Mark Henry because yeah. then they, yeah he's sort of the 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 he was the very much that, that guy yeah, yeah. although that's a that's it yeah and basically this guy would um. To, to, to sort of like annoy you and also because he just had no he, his chat was just like fucking bogging like so he just had he had no chat so basically in a, in a lesson to try and annoy you he'd basically just come up with all these like scenarios that would basically involve him just sort of saying stuff like this right what would you do right what would you do yeah if i fucking took a fucking like fucking brick and i fucking smashed it in your fucking head and i fucking and he would always start with what would you do if i did like what would you do if i fucking went up to your dad and i fucking had a chainsaw and just fucking cut his fucking legs off uh, what would you do if i just fucking had a fucking sword yeah a fucking seven foot sword and i just fucking sliced your fucking head off what would you do then and he'd just be like well i'd be dead mate Maybe just strikes me like one of those guys. Was he Cloud Strife? <laughs> yes. Yeah, right, yeah. Imagine if, if Cloud Strife was from Withenshaw. <laughs> I'd probably, ra- I'd probably so rather like, live, live in Midgar like than 20 Withenshaw, fucking but... sovereigns a day. <laughs> and war 20 sovereigns as well. <laughs> oh god yeah Maeda definitely strikes you as the sort of person who would like just run up and kick you in the balls behind for a laugh and then like, <laughs> if he got mad he goes just a prank bro yeah <laughs> he would have been really why, 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 are you, yeah. why are you taking the huff like it's just a joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you just 
joke. Mate. Face. Yeah. That's just a joke, mate. <laughs> it's literally like I can't believe you've done this. Yeah. <laughs> so that is that it's that guy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's Akira uh, Maeda. <laughs> it was just like um, um. Oh, you probably, you probably went to fucking Withenshaw when he was quick kick Lee, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like. Exactly. If Withenshaw has a mid mid-sized town hall, he's definitely wrestled there. Um, I mean, I mean, in this in this match, you really saw why he was called Quick Kick Lee because the, the pace was absolutely burning on one point five speed. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we we we. I don't think any of us were huge fans of this match. In case you couldn't tell, I mean, not 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 really. I mean, uh, just just because, um, just I may as well get this stupid question out of the way then before we talk about it anymore if, if we're if we're dogging on it um can, uh, so can we get a check-in on the actual age uh, uh on, on the sort of actual age versus grizzled appearance disjunct uh, uh a zangief with kopolov because um he right. looks like a 50 year old docker um so do, you, do we know how old he was here let me go uh, let's see if he's got a cage match profile he probably, he probably fucking doesn't oh he does the, the problem is um no, the problem is, is he has a, uh, a Stuart Bannigan haircut, and Stuart Bannigan is like three years younger than me, but has like it's just it, it, like it, it, it's it's you only need to shave it soon. Put it that way. Like he's a pro. It's every season his hairline just gets <laughs> worse and worse. And um, <laughs> okay, so so I've um I can't find a uh, I can't find a birth date for Kopilov, but um, just reading between the lines on his Wikipedia, it says here he competed in the Na- USSR National Junior Sambo Championships in 1983, so nine years before right. this. There is a chance that this man is in his 20s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the age range was for the National Junior Championships, but yeah, he, he may well have Victor Zangief syndrome. So, so what we think possibly he has a rougher paper round than both Zangief and Dr. Destiny Williams. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh yeah, his paper team. rounds for the fucking Euro Mountains, by the looks of it. <laughs> well, fair news then. Yeah, in that case, I, I think if you if you have that sort of paper round, either you end up looking like this by the age of twenty eight, or you end up having the fucking like the major league like Botox that Putin's clearly had, because like he now looks like he's got the fucking bloaty head disease from Theme Hospital. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he, he looks like Crichton. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> he, 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 he really, he, he, he really, yeah, like, yeah, basically, those are your choices. Like, you get the head inflation or or you end up like this. That's it, yeah. You see, yeah. Uh, you see all, all this sort of, uh, see, everybody online is going to be like, oh, pure free podcast is still talking about the Soviet Union. It's in these trying things. Look, we've actually criticised Putin. We say he looks like the, the bloody head guy at a film hospital. What more do you want yeah. from us? I mean, it's, it's not the worst thing about Putin, but I think like <laughs> any any excuse any excuse to rag on him, I think we should we should take. Yeah, yeah, um, yep. you know, but but yeah, sorry, just 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 to to, uh, to controversially talk about wrestling again, um, <laughs> like um, if we must, I, we, we were talking about the kicks and stuff, and the, 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 something I had written down was that a couple of d- does these sort of little little front kicks uh, occasionally, and, and and to be fair to him. He does sort of transition out of the strikes in, into sort of like level changes when they happen. This is somewhat grandiose term for what occurs, but pretty one every, one every few minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like I think the problem is, um, and you know we'll talk about this as well in in, in the uh, in the match that that features these two. Um, I think the most instantly comparable wrestlers to him um, are sort of like you know is is his Soviet uh, contemporaries here. So you're thinking sort of Zangiev, a, Vol- a Volkan. 
as well. And I think by comparison to both of those guys, and this is probably a little bit unfair because you're comparing him with, you know, two absolute greats. <laughs> yes. But I actually think Coppola are pretty good. And I've seen some other matches of his, which are really decent, actually, uh, like, are very good in some cases. But um, he just feels a bit, in this match especially, a bit lumbering by comparison with some of his um uh, his fellow sort of Soviet guys. Um, and it may, it may yeah, it might, it might be a bit unfair saying that. but that Yeah, just and, and it, it might be like one assumes Maeda controlled the pace of this. Um, yeah. And the thing is about Maeda is um, he's a guy I kind of blow hot and cold on. Um, like, I much prefer, uh, like, you know, this is not the case for all guys who did both shoot style and pro style. Like, I much prefer his stuff in New Japan uh, to his, uh, yeah, to his yeah. style stuff. And I, and I prefer his stuff in World of Sports to uh, his New Japan run as well, as sort of problematic as the gimmick may have been and the name. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, yeah. yeah like, to be fair, though, the crowd are quite into that. it at points. Oh, the crowd are really into it. I mean, my yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah, Kop- they're hot for it. Yeah, and Kopilov appears to have, at this point, established uh, some kind of modified Fujiwara armbar as a kind of finisher, because every time he goes for it, the, cra- the, crowd, abs- the crowd absolutely shit themselves. And uh, yeah. so that kind of adds a bit of... I-, I do love finishers in shoot style, even though that's, like, not a thing in actual MMA, <laughs> um, really. So, like, that, that I, 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 enjoy- I enjoyed that. That was, uh, that was good. And um, there's, uh, there's some good sort of... Um, I, there's some good down spots, which uh, which I quite uh, which I quite uh, enjoyed. Uh, we should probably talk about the rule set actually, because like yeah, there the were kind of different rule sets amongst the rings matches we're going to cover at changes. But this one, it seems like you are allowed. Um, two I rule think breaks. You allowed well, you, you allowed two rope breaks, and then basically three rope breaks makes a down, and you're allowed five downs or something like that. Mm. Um, so, four. It was four euro lows. Are you allowed four, and then the fifth is the is the end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, so that that's quite that's quite that's quite interesting. Just the um, they they kind of work that in, but like the problem with um, a point system in in shoot style a lot of the time is it's I mean it's there because you have to have it because like you do want the option of ending a match like that, but yeah it's 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 more like like the downs just really end up being just spots if you like. So they, yeah. they 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 weave themselves into the uh, the I guess the narrative of the match, but like it's not like the scoreboard actually tends to come into it a lot of the time. Um, that's not really a criticism of this match um, in particular. It's just like one of those sort of weird quirks of the style, I guess. More messy suplexes towards the uh, towards the back end of uh, the back end of this. I, I the the final stretch is once they've stopped. So it's basically like the main thing they do in this match. It's, it's not so much that there's lots of heel hooks in it. It's that the spot they keep going back to is them both trying to heel hook each other. And this happens for like almost interminable periods of time. And, <laughs> and that's quite a novel thing once, right? Yes. If you're in a match and that happens, yeah. you're like, that's quite novel. I quite like that. That's, that's a good spot. See when it's like the ninth time, you're like, Lads. yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. It, but it, I it, also it, thought, sorry, go on. It, it becomes it also becomes like quite comical the bit when they just sort of rolling across the ring like sort of <laughs> yeah. almost fucking themselves onto the onto the floor. Um, yeah, it, it, like that that's like just not something you would generally see in shoot style, and there probably is a good reason for this. Well, well, this was a, a point I wanted to pick up on, to be honest. Um, um, which you know, um, I'll probably talk talk about a, a, a another point as well in in a way, but um, I feel like um. There's a big difference for me in some ways. Watch it, when I first discovered shoot style and was watching some of this stuff and watching it sort of post. I'm trying to think 
what what was the peak year you would say for sort of grapple fuck um, oh you mean evolve um yeah you know i'm gonna say um, 20, 2015 16 2015 16 yeah when Cat yeah yeah the thing yeah I mean, yeah well that's what i was I, thinking you know. I'm, maybe, when you watch yeah sorry go on i, I was gonna say probably we but basically like the, the first sort of blood sport when it when they got this sort of because because remember there was the because there was the shoot the shoot tournament in liverpool that was it titsujin Tetsujin, like, yeah. It went away for years, and that came back around about the same time as Bloodsport, and you got other people doing UWFI rules matches. Yeah, because it was um, and it was Redacted's Bloodsport first, wasn't it? It, 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 it was, indeed. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. So basically, the reason I mentioned that was because I was, you know, I was as you can, as anyone that listens to this show that knows about what my tastes in wrestling are can probably imagine, and I've probably spoken about it on this show before at some point as well. Um, I, that was me like a pig in shit. I was in my element, like, you know, <laughs> um, like Timothy Thatcher's pretty much my favourite wrestler of the past like 10, uh, 15 years. Um, or all those other guys, you know, Catchpoint, um, Tracy Williams, Drew Gulak, Fred Yehi, Yehi, however you want to pronounce it. I mean, how Fred Yehi is not like a huge star in AEW or previous incarnation of NXT, I've got no idea how that didn't happen. Um, but you know, anyway, so that that kind of stuff really did, um, you know, that that took stuff like this really did sort of like um, update it, modernize it, and there was just that little bit more snap and that little bit more of an acknowledgement that actually what we're doing here is very much pro wrestling, but it's shoot style influence pro wrestling, which to complicate things I think is different to shoot style. Um, yeah, sure. uh, uh, crucially, okay. um, you know, um, so I actually found it um, a bit weird because I because really most of my shoot style watching, my deep dives of it came before that stuff. Which I was glad of in a way because when I, when I did see that stuff, I appreciate what they were doing so much more because I was like, oh my god, you can really see the influences here, and this is really cool. Uh, but then, unless I'm watching like real high level, like you know, Han Tamura, that kind of stuff, um, uh, uh, shoot style these days, and I'm watching more, I'd say, I wouldn't call it pedestrian by any means, but 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 stuff that's just below that level, um, I, I do struggle with it a little bit more, and a little goes a long way. Um, so yeah, that was sort of what I wanted to say there. Yeah, I, I think that's I, I think that's uh, I think that's totally fair. And like I think the problem with the sort of explosion in UWFOs and uh, you know uh, blood sport and stuff like that, uh, and it, this is kind of the same with like a round system, uh, uh, some kind of you know the British rule set. Um, a lot of people want to do it, and they kind of don't grasp the reason that the best examples of that form work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is there is. I'm, I'm not saying like uh, like obviously like my uh, like founding a shoot style promotion. He clearly like knows the style it's just that yeah. there were exponents of it that i prefer watching than you know this particular match as you say Kopolov's had some great bouts and you know my there's there's some better matches than this in oh yeah uh, in, in, I mean, in like, rings like, like like you said before i think out of the three guys that go off to found shoot style promotions it's only really fujiwara who i would say is probably my favorite guy in his, his own promotion um, <laughs> yeah and that's just because you know I mean? like there weren't really many other sort of yeah top guys in that promotion because it was like the, yeah. the smallest of the three um yeah, yeah. it did it did have a young suzuki and uh, funaki uh but like uh, yeah, they, yeah. And, and, they, and one young uh, uh, ken wayne shamrock too yes absolutely um, but they weren't quite uh, uh fully formed at that at no, that stage no. um and uh which, and it, it, I, I wish it was better known because like it was kind of quite quirky i think in a kind of proto oh, battle arts way we'll um, we'll, we'll, we'll do some we'll do some weird P- pwfg matches at some point as well definitely yeah yeah absolutely i i, I think i'll tell you one thing i did like um about this the uh, i thought the finish was really good like there's yeah. um yeah like uh, kopilov sort of 
there's a kind of gator roll and he's got this uh, arm bar on Maeda, but at kind of a weird angle and Maeda's leg manages to, you know, Fraley Man manages to get Kopilov in a head scissors and that's the opening Maeda needs to get his own arm bar and that's the finish. Like, I thought that was like, I thought that was really good. Just like a sort of buttery smooth transition there. Like it was, um, that, that was done really well. It is a shame that like the rest of the match was like relatively tedious unless you do what David did. <laughs> Yeah. And it, it, yeah. Um. It, it reminds me of when you see, it, like, a goalkeeper save, and you can't quite figure out how they've saved it. Yeah. Uh, like the physics of it. I mean, like, the, Thomas Cherney versus Motherwell, the greatest save of all time, better than Gordon Banks shite against Pelly. Um, <laughs> but like, you, you watch that, and you're like, he, he's moving the other way, but somehow saves it that way. But it, it was one of those where you have to rewind a couple of times and like go. Like the actual mechanics of what happened is just mind-boggling, and you're like, you just, you you just you, it requires further examination and considerable analysis. I I really loved the finish just because it was just out of nowhere, and you're like, wait, what? How the fuck's he done that? And then it was over. So yeah, it was definitely the highlight for me of the of the match. But yeah, um, definitely I'd say if you're going to watch this, 1.5 speed is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, this this match, it doesn't work anywhere near as well if the crowd isn't living and dying by Maeda. Um, like, oh, they, yeah. they, they go berserk every time it looks as though Kopolov is going to lock in a hold properly. Uh, and, like, like he's really over. It's He's kind of got the um, Rock versus Hulk Hogan WrestleMania 18 syndrome in that respect, which, like, mechanically is a dog shit match. But, like, with the whole atmosphere and the and the... You know, the crowd feeding off the guys and the guys feeding off the crowd. Like um, Chris Jericho once said, if you watch that with the sound off, it's one of the worst matches of all time. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. um, it's 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 got it's got that kind of syndrome. So like the the crowd, because it was Maeda, really uh, elevated. If, if it was just some Joe Schmo wrestling Kopilov on the undercard, then like, yeah, this would really, really have been not very much to write home about the finish aside. But like it, that made it a sort of diverting watch. It wasn't too long. Um, I'd had that go for it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, it, I, I, it kept it kept itself it kept itself within its um, restrictions. You know, it, it, it boxed itself in, and we liked that. It, it was yeah, it, it retained the dignity of brevity. Exactly. Yeah. Perfectly acceptable wrestling. Who would have thought at the start of this episode that Atsushi Anita would have done a better shoot style match than uh, than Akira Maeda? I mean, David, you I mean, I mean to be to be fair, it, it, it would be fair to say that our tastes are probably not representative of everyone in the uh, in the fandom but because we I, are quite specific. So. Yeah, I genuinely did have more fun with the first one. Oh, me too. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, our next match, also from um, Fighting Network Rings, is from the 22nd of October, 1994. Um, I So basically, I was... What I tried to do when putting this slate of matches together is I tried not to uh, not to repeat wrestlers as as much as you know, you could easily have just had a full playlist of all these of all these guys from the former Soviet Union wrestling uh, Kishitamura or Tsuyoshi Kasaka or, or Maeda. Um, but while searching uh, the name of one Taril Betsadze, I found a match of his against uh, Tony Halmer, the former WWF superstar, former far-right Finnish MP and current corpse. Um, and uh, we have got... Uh, so this is what you've got. Um, so um, this... I would like to say quite we, you, shouldn't spe- you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, but I will. 
Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. to, Tony Holm was such an objectionable piece of actual fascist shit. That, yeah. Like he's he's he, he's he's almost objectionable enough a Finnish like you know far right ethno nationalist to put you off the films of Aki Karismaki. Right. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and nothing. And, and and nothing ever will ever put me off the films of Aki Karismaki. Uh, you know. I'll never uh, listen to Bahira again. <laughs> I mean, yes. Exactly. Oh, I mean, come on. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so certified piece of a- actual fucking shit. Oh yeah. But also we, we, dead. So there you go. Yeah, he, Could he, they he, fit his massive fucking roid belly in the coffin? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his opponent, Tariel Bitsadze, who is uh, announced as Bitsadze Tariel, and that was who he was. Uh, what he was also always known as in the Observer, presumably because Rings didn't know how, like, what a Georgian first name and what a G- Georgian surname looked like. But I mean, Bitsadze is obviously guy, the guy's last name, so that's what we're going to call him. Um, and um, so he's ranked number four in Rings according to the graphics, and he looks like a cross between Oscar Isaac and Peter Serafinovich. And um, he, <laughs> <laughs> like, he, sure does. he really does. Yeah. And uh, he appears to be some sort of karate guy. Um, and I'm excited about this when because I, 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 I obviously know about Ludwig Borger, the flying Finn, uh, which was his new generation to Ludwig gimmick. And I knew he had done some shoot style stuff in rings. I think also he, he was in New Japan um, at one point. Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah, he uh, fought Hashimoto, I think. Yes, I believe so. But but yeah, I yeah. I didn't know what kind of shoot style wrestler he was. So I was extremely <laughs> delighted to find that his gimmick was a boxer. So like, so we've got a boxer versus a karate guy. Like, I've never seen UFC one, but this match is what it's You've like. You've never seen UFC one. No, no, I ha- no, I haven't. But like, th- I don't need to. This is it. It's a boxer against a karate guy. They they are like oil and water. They just neither of them has any idea what they're doing. It's it's incredible. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've got, I, I, maybe I've got a slightly different opinion on uh, on this, and I'm sure we'll get to the play-by-play sort of stuff in in a moment. But um, as such as it um, is. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but 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 well, yeah. But my my opinion on this. Um, it, don't you see that, that this um, was like a, a a slick match, Daniel? Because no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be that contrary. Um, but I actually, but I, I do think there is one person in this match that takes to it better than the other. Um, and and, um, and and it's not the um, the, the roid bellied fascist. No, no, it's it's not. And this is always the risk when you have a guy who literally just does punching. Um, but uh, I mean, I would say this um, this does compare quite favorably to that the god awful shoot boxing that we reviewed for Big Egg Podcasting Universe. Um, but like, it is it is basically, and, I, and I'm uh, I'm I've been I think quoted on this podcast that like. A lot of my favourite shoot style matches are a striker against a grappler. You know, something like nobody mm-hmm. uh, uh, against Carter versus Gary Albright, something something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, a striker versus a striker. Now you don't get that too often, do you? And um, the crowd is absolutely nuclear at the start. At the start, as they just walk in and start just fucking teeing off on each other, <laughs> like it's. Well, well, they, they, they also missed out well, um, at first. They, they have um, a stare down. Um, which yes. um, w- w- which goes on for you know uh, uh, it goes on for slightly longer uh, than it than it, it it should in kayfabe to give you a sense that actually maybe there is a little bit of genuine sort of like you know you, you, you know attention here um, and yeah they, they they come out like sort of th- well this is the thing right the critical really... wild for the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well. okay the so I'm gonna have to... 
I, I'm, I'm maybe going to have to fast forward to the, uh, uh, yeah, uh, to the end, so, so forgive me. But um, I just want, want us to get through the play-by-play next because I want to ask you guys after this, right, how on earth this match was booked and how on earth the, uh, uh, the, it, it, it was supposed to play out and if it played out as you think it was meant to. And we'll come on to yeah. why now it, when, we, when we go through yeah, it. But, it's yeah, just the, it's just no, the... Clearly, it's the historical enmity between the Finnish and the Georgian people. And, going, yes. uh, and yeah. I say Ajax's greatest player was Georgie Kinkladze. Yari, well, yeah, I, I was, was going to say maybe as well as um, in, in, insulting just about every other ethnic minority on the planet, Tony Halm took a swipe at Kakabaskadadze before this. But... <laughs> so, yeah... I mean, Don't you insult yeah. the good name of Murtaz Jalea? <laughs> we'll do the play-by-play because there isn't much of it. This is not a long match, um, uh, which is to its credit, I think. Um, so, yeah, Pitsadze uh, gets the better of the opening strike exchange and uh, Halme ends up uh, clutching the ropes and taking a break. And then he, <laughs> in a particularly funny bit, he um, seems a little bit wary of the leg kicks when they go back to standing and then catches an axe kick to the back. I don't know how that works uh, physically. And then while he's sort of on his knees, um, Bitsadzi gives him a strike to the back and Helm goes, and I quote, hey, what the fuck? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, because obviously he's he's on on his knee and there's no strike to a downed opponent. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And then he gets David's favourite thing. don't care about your feelings. So, so's big tone. Then he gets David's favourite thing in all of shoot style wrestling, the yellow card. (laughs) Yes. I've seen them, Kevin. I've seen them, <laughs> Kevin. So it, it appears like, because like one one thing you will notice about these uh, rings matches, like the the um, the rule set seems to change like uh, very frequently. Uh, the rule set in this match is different from the last one. I think you allowed more knockdowns uh, than mm. you were in the in the rule set under the under the previous match. But it seems like a yellow card penalizes you one rope break or uh, or something like that, according to the uh, according to the rules. And um, if anything, Clive, he's he should let them go. He's trying he's trying to make the game about him, the referee, <laughs> and like he's try he, he's he went in too early with that. You need to, you need to kind of get the flow of the game first and let them just go. And then, you know, what he should have done is he should have gone up to him and just said, that's your one. That, yeah, <laughs> that, that's your one. Because that wrestler's on a tightrope for the next 85 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. knowing so you, another. You ruined the, game. That's ruined the game. The fans lose yeah. out today. <laughs> and um, so um, after after this, uh, Helm seems more confident with his punches. We're still getting got by Bitsadze's wide array of fancy kicks and then just gets down for a nine count by, by, by a liver shot. Is it just me or, or right? I, maybe I'll, again, maybe I'm, I'm, I actually found this really, really fucking satisfying, not just because I hate Tony <laughs> Helm, but I actually thought that a lot of the kicks, because he's kicking him right. I'm not, not to obsess over this, but he's kicking him right in that nasty little row 10 sort of like, you know, uh, ro- roid belly. And that they're connecting, and he's slapping the shit out of him with his uh, with his open palm strikes. And honestly, up until about the last, literally the last 12, 15 seconds of this match, this basically played out to me like it was a fucking Vader squash on WCW fucking Saturday night. I mean, like, it, it basically was the whole story of this match is Tony Helm like um, feeling his way into the match gradually because like after this nine count, he hits a couple of combos and then Bitsadji just shoves him to the floor, which is not a down apparently, and then. Um, then he downs him for eight after a few clinch knees and a, ne- a leg kick. So Helm's got uh, three downs now. He only allowed five. Then gets a fourth down from a... Uh, this is like the one kick that didn't look quite as good because it kind of got him in the side and not right up, right on the button like uh, King Hippo from Punch-Out. Um, but like he gets a nine count off this spinning back kick. And then um, 
bits as he tries an axe kick and Helm dodges it and then just biffs him with a punch to the face and that's the finish. Um, takes a, a 10 count from that and that's the match. That is the match. But, but the yeah, thing is, yeah, though, is that he, he expands... This is the thing, is that um, there's obviously, after that, um, a short um, post-match interview. Oh, um, yeah, which, I, I want to talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> which... Which, which Helm conducts in English, uh, you know, because he speaks perfectly good English. You know, he basically sort of says, uh, oh, well, you know, um, my, my whole time. He basically tries to make out like he's just done a fucking Ali <laughs> Foreman rope dope And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that was my plan all the way through. You know, I'm in a lot of pain now, but my plan, he literally says my plan was for him to beat the shit out of me. I'd tire him out and then I'd just fucking sock him one. It, it, it's like, literally Homer Simpson's <laughs> boxing strategy. Yeah, he literally, he does a fucking Homer Simpson. It's like, and I'm thinking like, because part of me thinks, right, maybe that was the, what they were trying to communicate with the, uh, you know, with, with, with getting towards the maximum amount of knockdowns and stuff. But the problem is, is that if you want to communicate that well in a shoot fight, what you really need is to look like you you have um you know even it it can't just come out of nowhere like you know uh, like like Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard it's not like all of a sudden Frankie Edgar Edgar just Edgar just fucking comes out of nowhere and just like fucking sparks in one there's a there's a moment when you see a logical where he's got himself together and he begins to believe in himself and come back my 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 theory on this is that fucking Helm basically about a couple of the, minutes in or whatever he just gasses right he, he, he gasses hard and he was probably supposed to have more offense right and then the interview after is him retrospectively trying not to look like a complete fucking embarrassment because he's just won when i think he's maybe meant to have had more well, more sort of i don't know what do you reckon it, well it's interesting you should say that because uh, i actually translated um uh bit sadzi's uh, uh post-match promo because it was subtitled um, oh, okay, not, right, yeah. not not in this. No, I'm not doing David's usual bit where like, oh, I've translated the Japanese. He said, uh, you know, got the <laughs> three to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I, I I'm, I'm not very good at Japanese and like some of the kanji I didn't know. Um, so it took me about maybe 10, 15 minutes to translate these um, uh-huh. three short sentences. And then I found like, OK, I need to bother because he is literally saying exactly what you think he's saying. He says, I thought it would be easy to win. I felt that my first attack was good, but I let my guard down. So maybe that was the story that they were trying to tell. Um, well, uh, yeah, OK. okay yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. I think they could have done more to uh, suggest that. And yeah, it doesn't make logical sense Ch- for... Um, for Helm to go like, oh yeah, no, I'm just going to let this uh, this massive mid 2000s sketch comedian looking motherfucker do all these <laughs> kicks against me. Yeah, yeah. Just to check, right? This definitely was a work. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, surely. Yeah. But why would you become match like this? Why? Why would <laughs> you? Yeah, that's my point. That's my point. Yeah. So, so I mean, like, if you were the booker, you go, what we'll do is we'll make it look completely illogical. <laughs> <laughs> so that yes. in, go, no cunt would ever book this and then they'll think it's a shit that i i, I don't know i i think what my theory is that what has happened is that to the old bit sadly it start it, it, i think this is it, we've worked ourselves into a shoot here brother <laughs> and basically tony Halmes took the huff when he got in the, in the kidney or wherever and the punch went hey yo what the fuck um, <laughs> and then him, him, and then and then quite not on the same wavelength is I'll just keep duffing them up. And and then Tony Holmes just took the half and just went, fuck you. And he's hit him. <laughs> and then I think maybe I think maybe at that point they're just like, mm. I, but, I don't but you know. know you know what? Because of all because of all this chaos and all this like just this 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 ridiculous sort of shit, 
I actually, of all the matches that we've watched, right, and you'll, you'll probably think this is hilarious, but a, 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 a few, quite a few of the matches that we've um, that we're watching during during this Soviet shooters run, I've already seen, right, and some of them I've seen several times. Uh, a couple of them are you know, my favourite matches ever. So, like, um, you know, remarkably, um, you know, I actually had a bigger emotional reaction watching this match than I did against, you know, than I did for re-watching, um, you know, a Volkan versus uh, Kyoshi Tamura, which we're going to talk about later on, which is one of my favourite matches of all time. I'm, I'm one of the most, you know, emotional matches of all time in some ways. And it was because I've never seen this before. And obviously me being a decent fucking human being and an upright Marxist, I fucking hate dirty, fast, roid belly, fucking dead Tony Helm, right? Um, so every time, every time he was getting his stupid little fucking, you know, dumb fucking face tuned in, right? Uh, I, I, I was absolutely delighted. So when I, I thought he was, it was, it was going to be a total humiliation. I thought this was going to be fucking six, one at the swamp. Let's embarrass him. Right. You know, <laughs> and then, and then I, I was devastated when he fucking sparked him out. I was devastated. So are, are obviously you... I, I, I sat there and I, and I cradled my Mikhail Kavalashvili replica t-shirt. Um, <laughs> Scored his debut against United, by the way. He's still lost, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and I was absolutely <laughs> devastated. Honestly, I was fucking devastated. You're, 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 you're going to regret using all your Georgian jokes when we get to the Gromzaza match. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but just, point, he'll just use them again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 I'm not. We're recording this over two separate sections. We'll have fucking forgotten. So. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, are you, are you just hoping it was it was a shoot just so like you can believe that Tony Howe was being hurt for real? Yeah, I I just don't want to ever think about Georgie Kinkladze being upset. Yeah, I mean the the thing about rings is that like it did eventually become like you know some of it was wrestling, some of it was shooting, and then it eventually just did become an MMA promotion. Yeah, but yeah, certainly at this point, I feel like it is much more likely than they just booked this that they booked this incredibly fucking weird wrestling match as opposed to it being an actual uh, an actual fight because like it does tell a story, like not especially logically, but like it does tell one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think they maybe tried to tell a different story and it just completely fell apart because Tony Helm is quite shit at this, and, <laughs> yeah. and then it was just yeah. I mean, um, he's better at boxing than he is at wrestling. Let's let's put it that way. So, um, yeah, and uh, so a uh, another so so just to um, it's, it's time for the designated cultural context section, which I do apologise, um, but uh, it is it is quite uh, useful here at this point, I think. Uh, so between this match and the next one, which takes place in 1997, um, we're just going to check in with what is going on in Russia at this point. In 1996, there was um, a presidential election. Um, in which um, Boris Yeltsin, the incumbent president, was the uh, front runner. But after the first round, well, that's, of... a, <laughs> that's a somewhat grandiose term. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was fucking running anywhere at that point. But like, um, uh, he was being challenged by um, now to say it's the Communist Party of Russia. Okay, legally, it wasn't the same one that had ruled the USSR because that had been uh, abolished, outlawed. But it was kind of a spiritual successor and. I, I, I don't think it was really like... They active. did a Rangers. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see how it is. They yeah. did a Rangers. They're called Comco. Um, but, yeah, um, Comco, yeah. yeah. They basically came back and um, they were sort of like, oh, we have, we have embraced democracy. We're still like left-wing Marxist, but we are now running in the election. And the result of the first round, Yeltsin got um, 35% of the vote and the Communist Party candidate won uh, Gennady Zhuganov, who was their candidate in like a lot of uh, subsequent presidential elections, including some very recent ones, uh, got 32% of the vote. So only 3% uh, behind Yeltsin. And at that point, the USA got very spooked by, by by this uh, and you you might be 
wondering like how a communist candidate um, at this point could have done so well in the first round of voting. But actually, this is not at all unusual in in most Eastern Bloc countries. Uh, the second election they had after the fall of the Berlin Wall, not the first election, but the second was won by the former communists who had rebranded themselves as socialists or even social democrats. And it's not really reducible to the voters were not all like sort of doctrinaire Marxist Leninists, but it's it's also not simply a case of the you know everything was better back in my day boom and nostalgia that no. in infests yeah. UK Facebook like a plague of locusts. I, I was going to say, I mean, to be fair, there, there is there is an element of that. I mean, I remember I oh, yeah, there Estonia, is, and um, they had a, a a Soviet nostalgia channel that showed all the Soviet Union broadcasts like twenty four yeah, yeah. hours a day. So oh, I, I mean, guess I, mean, I, I watched I, all you. I, I bet oh, you were like Linda, cancel our sightseeing trip. Absolutely. I mean, that that's def- that definitely exists, in, you know, um, um, now. I think to it, but I think again, the, I, guess, I guess the broader point here, or the more specific point, is that you know a lot of these elections that took place so soon, so comparatively soon after uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, were, were taking place in countries that you know the degree of um, you know you know chaos. Um, and unsanctioned, unregulated um, collapse of a centrally planned, you know, economy in, into the the very beginning of you know ex, extreme oligarchy. But that's already sort of becoming evident that, that there is a transfer of, of power from political bureaucrats to ultra, you know, uh, uh, capitalist oligarchs that want to take advantage of the situation. So yeah. you know, it, it is it isn't as simple as saying you know. Um, you know, uh, as you know, the, the, this is a battle of you know the 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 reinstatement of um, of totalitarianism against uh, uh, you know this nascent liberalism. It's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, and we wouldn't I, I think is. Simplify it too much. No, no I, I think as well you have to also take into account that by this time it's what like four, five, six years since when the various countries formed, and you're having your second election. Mm. There's a lot of associations of communism with totalitarianism and stuff like that, but obviously a lot of it is part of the social welfare system of you know free education, you know having jobs for people and stuff mm. like that, and you know a good social security service uh, service that was obviously kind of ripped out. You know, once the sort of neoliberalism came in, and it's kind of one of those things where, well, if you previously had, you know, access to a job and housing and education and, you know, good social security, where even if you weren't in work, you were still to a degree, you know, you're, you're still getting a wage and stuff like that. And that's kind of all tailed back. And you're going to feel the brunt of that, regardless of whether you're communist or not. Do you know what I mean, yeah. like you're, you're going to feel that. So it's going to be a natural reaction where the second election round, once the sort of tidal wave of liberty and democracy and you know capitalism that's come along once you've lived with it for a couple of years because I mean Romania had really a hard of this and they, they had a lot of that where people kind of realized that you know yeah the, the communism wasn't you know the be all end all but there was elements of it that were that were good that, that were kind of stripped away and yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah made yeah. it for the worst that they were gone yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, so everyone that everyone that voted for the, for these parties, it doesn't make them some sort of like you know ideological like no, you know no. uh, sort of illiberal a true believer um, in everything that, that they previously experienced you know, in, in the way that a lot of um, a lot of liberals would be desperate to uh, to sort of uh, uh, to paint their experiences out of. You know, it, it's a lot more complicated than that on in every direction. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And like you know, consistently uh, in a lot of different countries, they do opinion polls of people who lived under both communist and capitalist systems. 
terms about which you preferred living under and and very often like more people say they preferred communism and like you you don't have to like the russian communist party as it was constituted either before or after the fall of the berlin wall to recognize why people would have wanted to vote for it fundamentally if you wish to preserve an economic system such as free market capitalism you have to give people a reason to ha- feel like they have a stake in preserving it which is what a lot of liberals nowadays uh, as we've seen with the the french presidential election this year uh, like completely failed to understand that if people feel that their lives are getting worse wanting to preserve the status quo is not an appealing option which is you know one of the reasons that hillary clinton lost the um, election in 2016 it's like uh, there's there's a um, there's the gdr museum in berlin which i've uh, which i've been to and um, mm-hmm. yeah. one of one of the exhibits they have is a replica of an apartment from East Berlin in the 1980s. And the point of the exhibit was to show how relatively modest it was compared with the apartment in West Berlin. So you could see how relatively straightened people's circumstances were under communism and isn't uh, Western free market capitalism better. Um, but now people go to the museum and go, wow, this is this is bigger than my place. And you say I could get it for only two percent of my salary is the rent. Oh, <laughs> this whole communism thing. You're like. And, you know, re- re- doesn't sound so bad. Do you know something? I had the exact same thing in Thailand when I went and they had a replica of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and like, God, this is great. W- w- whether or not you would like to live under the stars, and I put it to you, you almost certainly wouldn't. But, yeah, this is something you have no. to. Uh, this is something you have to reckon with. And uh, but yeah, 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 going back to the Russian election, um, the US got very jumpy about this. Now they didn't, um, as, as far as is known, there wasn't outright electoral fraud perpetrated by the US, but they certainly lent very heavily on voters when it came to the second round of voting and put a a big propaganda campaign to try and get people to re-elect Yeltsin, which is why it's always uh, sort of made me laugh when people are on about uh, Russian election interference in uh, in uh, yeah. in was like well like never let it be said that America has uh, has never you know interfered in the elections of any other sovereign nations. I mean uh, it was it was explicitly based um the uh, the, the, the cultural efforts during that period but the, for, from the US um it were explicitly based on like the Rock the Vote campaign in in the US they they got mm-hmm. you know really popular um like um uh, Russian music groups uh, my knowledge of Russian pop music's not great at all but you know yeah. they, uh, and things like that um to um to to do massive of uh, stadium shows and concerts and things that were, you know, um, they no, no shade on those bands if they, if they thoroughly believed that they wanted to live in a different political system, then that's up to them. But like, you know, it's an actual thing. This isn't a conspiracy or anything. It's like, you know, it's, it's yeah, a real thing. This, this, yeah, this, this happened. There's like documented evidence of it. And it kind of just goes to show which... Um, you know, that uh, for all the sort of highfalutin talk of uh, freedom and democracy, what was actually more important to America was having a leader who was uh, amenable to uh, free market capitalism. And uh, the prevailing belief uh, continued to be that although they wanted Russia to be a democracy, they also wanted them to have a strong man leader. So if you're wondering, uh, you know, when the time was to nip this Putin shit in the bud, the time was about 25 fucking years ago when decisions were made by the Western powers that it was important for Russia to have, you know, to be ruled with an iron fist, you know, regardless of whether it was a political system or not, because their interest was in, you know, Russia being a market for capital and preserving the system that they've worked so hard to defeat communism in order to install. So, yeah, that's uh, that's really that's really what was going on uh, then and sort of how it relates to uh, to today. And uh, now it's time to talk about one of the greatest wrestling matches ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, Onita you... versus Vericev too. Really? <laughs> yes. 
um, yeah, the, the date is the 22nd of January 1997. We are still in Fighting Network Rings. It is, as Daniel was saying earlier, Kyoshi Tamura versus Volcan. Um, now, Daniel, I will let you discuss Volcan for a little bit, seeing as like, I think I feel your best place to do this thing is you literally named a music project after him. Yeah, 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 I did. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the reasons for that are, are quite simple. Uh, Volcan is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time um, and um, you know I think in terms of I think it's probably widely acknowledged in terms of people that come from outside of a, um, a professional wrestling you know environment and bear in mind that shoot style is a form of professional wrestling despite what some of its uh, practitioners might want to try and make you believe shoot yeah. style is a form of professional wrestling um it's just you know it just seeks to be an ultra realist form of professional wrestling now you know Volkan coming from outside that tradition um you know was um a, a sambo practitioner um i think he was um a, a, actually in in the military um um as well in um uh, at some point um you know a lot a lot of um very um um uh, sort of um gifted uh, sambo practitioners during that period um across the soviet union um would, would have actually learned their stuff um in in the army it was um you know officially it was a, a officially adopted martial art trained by the army um now he was basically uh, known for having a huge degree of technical proficiency when it came to sambo um he wasn't you know someone necessarily that was known for um uh, you know winning by brute strength he wasn't someone that was known uh, by uh, you know um, uh, uh, being being a particularly sort of like you know a, um, a heavy pressure um uh, you know grapple or anything like that he was just technically incredibly sound and he could wrap you up in a million different ways now that, that's one thing all right to be able to do that and, and sambo you know there's a huge big debate within mixed martial arts especially amongst you know uh, practitioners of various different grappling forms ask a, ask a catch wrestler ask a bjj guy ask a sambo guy they'll all say that their that their their, their style is superior um but you know um uh, volcan i think probably is acknowledged as in my opinion i ask you guys as well but i think in terms of people that have come from outside of professional wrestling from another um you know from, from a different discipline from uh, an actual you know martial art discipline it is absolutely insane it's just unbelievable how quickly and how efficiently this guy took to to, to professional wrestling um you know um I, I don't have the actual um the actual info in front of me um but um i, I think uh I, I can't remember what his debut is but he doesn't have an awful lot of matches uh really um you know comparatively uh compared to a lot of other guys in the run-up to to this match um you know overall in terms of a body of work and if you watch this, you would honestly think that this guy had been doing shoot style wrestling for about 600 matches before this. This is just a different level um, of shoot style. This guy got it almost precognitively, preternaturally, you know. Um, he is just, in my opinion, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. His body of work is small compared to others. But I think the influence that he's had um, is absolutely immense um of all the soviet shooters i don't think i mean maybe i'm, I'm being controversial here because he's my favorite i think he is objectively the best um i think he's the most objectively the, the one that at his peak wows you the most um and yeah this is this is one of the greatest matches of all time haven't even spoken about Tamura yet who's also one of the uh, the absolute greatest shoot star wrestlers of all time but yeah, yeah we're talking about soviet shooters, so, i mean yeah. like um pretty much the only person in the conversation for me is angiev who again was a yep. someone who picked it up incredibly quickly, like Zangief yeah. versus Volkan. That's like the number one dream match that never happened. Yes, yeah, yeah. But different styles as well, you know, different styles between the two guys as well, you know. Yeah, and I think as well, 
Volkan has the advantage of having an established career over like what six seven years he went from what like 94 95 through to like 2000 2001 yeah. mm-hmm. and a lot of it is on tape with rings the, like a lot of the rings yeah. library is on tape whereas Zangiev you've got your dome shows a couple of shows here there starcades and that's about it a, yeah. a couple of UWFI ones here but even then, like Volcan has a bigger back catalogue. I think if Volcan and Zangief had a bit the same depth of back catalogue, there would be it would be a one in a two where you you could make an argument for either of them. And I'm not I'm not going to sit here and dispute if anyone wants to say they prefer Victor Zangief to Volcan because I fucking love Victor Zangief, obviously. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just on your body of work, like yeah, Vol- Volcan takes it. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, they, they actually put the, the fighters' records on the screen uh, at the start of this match, and Volkhand is uh, 39 and 12 in rings. So, you know, yeah, he's already had 51 matches uh, there. Um, yeah, yeah. Most... I, I should point out that when I said before he doesn't have a great range of output, I'm, I'm, I wasn't comparing him to the other Soviets. To the, the, the other Soviets. I was comparing him to pro wrestlers in general. Yeah, yes, but, in, yes yeah, indeed. Yeah, That's yeah. a useful clarification. Uh, Tamura is much newer at this point. His record is 6-1. and one, So, like, he's a, he's a, he's a young guy. Um, so, uh, Tamura is... Um, I'd say him, Maeda and Kasaka are like the three guys I think of, like the triptych. Um, yeah. the, I think are like the main yeah. rings guys. Tamura is in his own right, a legendary shoot style wrestler. He retired in uh, 2007 and he has had, he had one match since then uh, in some quite extraordinary circumstances. He wrestled uh, noted scumbag Dylan James, uh, formerly known as James Rydeen, on a charity show organised by Dick Togo to raise money for the victims of flooding in Myanmar. And the, the and you see the second, the second you said he's had one match since, I'm like, it's going to be fucking Myanmar, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. It's going to be that. You're, yeah. I think that that is possibly, I think, your your mine is like the... The Ryuma Go Tokyo Dome show <laughs> versus the weird things. Yours is the Myanmar Dick Togo flood benefit. Um, I think of just our holy grail of shows that we just absolutely adore. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. So and um, he's now involved with Gleet in an ambassadorial and training capacity. Uh, although he's not he's not wrestled for them yet, and like he, he probably won't. I mean, he's, he's pretty old now. Um, but uh, so he's he's still involved in the uh, pro wrestling business. Um, and these two guys had lots of matches together in rings. Uh, we chose this one because it's in our view the best. But like you can watch any of them, and they'll they'll all be great. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and- so should also point out that tomorrow is probably, and this is a a debate that can be had, you know, elsewhere. But um, there's an argument that he is. Um, the probably the the best guy who also fought proper mixed martial arts, admittedly with varying degrees of um of, of legitimacy in some of those matches. But um you know th- there is an argument to be made that he is the best guy who moved from shoot style into actual mixed martial arts as well. Um and you know some of the people that he actually fought during oh, yeah. his MMA career. I mean we're talking Frank Shamrock, Henzo Gracie, uh, Gilbert Evel, Jeremy Horn, Pat Militich, Antonio uh, Rodrigo Nogueira. Uh, you know, Vandalai Silva, Bob Sapp. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> of course, he's wrestled Bob Sapp. You know, and, yeah, and, you know, uh, I mean, he actually fought Nogueira twice, you know. So, um, yeah. uh, and actually, the last um, mixed martial arts match he's had, I think, according to the record I've got up in front of me now, was um, in 2008 against the man himself, Kazushi Sakuraba. Um, so, I, I, I'm shocked he's never worked rising. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. He had 48 matches in MMA, 32 wins, 13 losses. 
won 32 of those by submission, uh, decision eight, um, and then knockout six. So, you know, like, uh, despite the the, st- the, the standard of the opposition, he might have been up sometimes, and the fact that other matches were, you know, maybe not completely above board, um, he is um, a legend in and of his own right. Like, yeah, and it speaks to his credit that, like, he was able to overcome that transition that Rings as a promotion made from shoot style yeah. to MMA, and certainly came out of it uh, a lot better than other pro wrestlers who turned to MMA. You talked about... Ricardo, for instance. <laughs> Yeah, mm. you talked about uh, Volcan versus Zangief being your dream match. I put it to you, Volcan versus Bob Sapp. What a match! That, <laughs> oh. that would have been incredible. Oh, yes. absolutely, that would be, that would be incredible. Um, I mean, because like one of the things, um, my first note here is like I forget just how fucking tall Volcan is. Mm. Like he's a he's a he's a he's a big, oh, he's a big guy. dude. Yeah, Tamura's not small. But like no. towers over him, like he's. Uh, yeah, he's I, I don't know why I always have this image of him as like being a sort of um, skinnier bloke, but he's absolutely not. Now, when we're going through this this match, like this is weird comparison, but bear with me. This is somewhat like that Toyaman for uh, Toyaman four way trios match that we reviewed. In that going through it move by move would take absolutely forever and is somewhat besides the point. Yeah. Yeah. Like like we cannot do play by play on this match. So much no. is going on. No, it's physically impossible. (laughs) Like, no, no. you cannot, you cannot do it. It's not possible. Like, seventy-five percent of the moves in this match don't fucking exist outside of the vacuum that is this match. It's just the, uh, it's just uh, Arthur C. Clarke's The Nine Billion Names of God. But like, you you finally finish writing down all the moves in this match, and then look up to the sky and the stars are going out one by one. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I, I wanted to mention something here, which is that you know, but, but before the match even starts, right, like from the get-go, and I've seen this, I've seen this match countless times. Like I said, it's one of my favorite matches of all time. I've seen it so many times. Um, but right from the get-go, I get a fucking shiver right up my spot, my spine, just when I see these guys squaring off. You know, I literally had goosebumps because um, it's not just that this is objectively one of the best matches of all time. It's that the atmosphere and everything when I see this just sets something off in me because they're facing off and just the ring gear, right? Han is in, is in his famous blue trunks, white stripe across it. That there's a white stripe for I could do now. Um, he's got his <laughs> um, his his moon boot, the famous Volcan moon boots on. Uh, tomorrow's across from all in red. That is as evocative, you know, uh, uh, to me as the green of Misawa, yellow of Kawada, red of Tawai, orange of, uh, of Kobashi, you know, um, in, in in all Japan. So right from the get go, I'm just like, oh yes, this is it, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's like it's one of these matches that it's. It's it's legendary for a reason, you know, and yeah. Um, like yeah, you 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 build it up in your mind and just you're just like oh man yeah this is uh this is what we're doing let's fucking go and like the grappling is like it's I, I just purely in terms of the psychology is not dissimilar from Maeda versus Kopilov, albeit with slightly fewer heel hooks, but um the pace is about four times that. Yeah, they, they are superior versions of, of they're, they're good analogs but superior versions of both. Like yeah. You know? absolutely like just like amazing fast wrist work with them going for submissions in the beginning and like Volkan's even trying to get a fucking finisher across that like that nasty modified figure four type looking thing so Um, good like it's 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 just it's just it's just so fast paced like they're just it's like it's like they greased up you know both of them and they're slipping in and out of each other's uh each other's holds and there's like there's yeah, there's odd moments of levity like after the first couple of minutes of um of this like um Volkan gets hit with a kick to the middle and then Tamura tries to pick his leg and hand sort of escapes and then kind of ends up hopping across the ring. 
<laughs> like but, that. but that but that's what makes this great because if this all goes at one pace because it's so that the exchanges yeah, yeah, are so yeah. fast and, and 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 he knows instinctively somehow you know uh, that right okay I, what i need to do here is just you know just slow it down just for a little bit just 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 for a moment yeah because we can't just keep going at this pace because people just become desensitized it's little bits like that that are just beautiful yeah you know? and, and and like that's what characterizes you know the very worst of uh, zach saber jr matches where he's like i put yeah. you in a hold and then i put you in another hold and then I put you in another hold another hold and so on like you know the spaces between the holds in this match like really create the tension and really the story of this match is they can't um apply a hold which is a pretty, you know, pretty basic story but they do like no one does it better and then they can't apply yeah. a hold in the beginning and then as the match goes on they get closer and closer and closer towards actually being able to lock one on and like this really ratchets up the drama uh that you know the crowd feels and um yeah it's just and just a variety of hold as well like various uh you know whereas Maeda and Kopilov almost to a comical degree relied upon the heel hook there's like there's great vine ankle locks there's you yeah. know there's heel hooks there's Kimura's Americanas like even fucking like hammer locks and shit yeah, um yeah. like like arm bars like, like every single hold you can imagine in like catch wrestling uh sambo whatever like it's in this match like yeah, it yeah. and it feels completely organic it doesn't feel like they've got spots laid out they are just throwing it at each other and it, and it and if and because of that this is just so much more realistic than a lot yeah. of uh, like you no know, yeah I, I i wouldn't wish to denigrate the the realism of atsushinita versus kukori verachev but like this is just like you can really believe in this like if you showed this to someone and you said this is an mma fight i guarantee you you could hoodwink wink some people with this and there's a lot of shoot star yeah. fights you couldn't do that with yeah no absolutely and like you know to, to compare it again to uh, you know the couple of a maeda match there's a great example of this where th- there's a moment in um in in, in that uh, couple of maeda match where they kind of almost like they, they get um sort of locked up in sort of an, a, a, a mutual ankle locks and they sort of almost comedically sort of roll cooperatively slowly towards <laughs> the ropes I, I know, but these guys, they're doing everything they humanly can to stop each other all the time when they do, they do the exact same thing. But, you know, they're actually cooperating really beautifully and intuitively to sort of raise the tension of, of the work shoot. Yeah, it's like jazz, you know, like in the in the way that like lots of great wrestling matches are. It's like you don't even need to call any spots because these guys have such a great master. And like this is this is Tamura's eighth match. Insane. Like that, that's something you need to remark upon as well, because it's just like, oh, yeah, this guy's really new. Like we should be talking about this guy's intuitive grasp of of shoot star wrestling in much the same way that we do uh, Zangiev or or Volkan. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, and like, you know, I don't think you'll see anything in in work shoots these days like 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 blood sport or anything like that that come close to how authentic this feels because, you know, it looks like a catch catch wrestling uh, bout or a BJJ match at times. But, you know, it also inhabits like it inhabits its own universe it, completely. You know, these guys make you believe every single exchange that, that is real. And that suspension of disbelief arrives in the viewer, you know, really, really easily. It's like it's the zenith of the style to me. It's the epitome of that that famous maxim about, you know, the, the great matches that there's no wasted motion, that everything means something. Yeah, I like blood sport the most generally when they're doing something which is quite wacky because like yeah. those, card, those cards are really long. And like, okay, here's Ninja Mac. He's a weird capoeira guy. Yeah, and like yeah. we've got another capoeira guy, and they're just gonna do like twizzly flips for four minutes. Oh like, yeah, I mean I, I really like blood sport, but you know a little goes a long way. I never watch a full show all in one go. Oh no, no, no like like, you know, like eleven match cards. He's got the time, but um, 
but uh, something like something like this watched in isolation and and there's some there's some great escapes as well that's the um mm. thing in the same way which you can enjoy in the same way i mean a very different style of wrestling but like some of the escapes you get in classic world of sport matches yes um, yeah. like my favorite in this regard and um uh, it's it's actually amazing, David, that like uh, n- we haven't seen this in the 28 hours of audio we've put out on Big Egg Podcasting Universe <laughs> uh, so far. We have th- there's um, there's a bit where Volcan sort of drags Tamura back to the ring when he's trying to like escape a Kimura and he's trying to pin his arm down. And then I can only describe it as a sort of Joshi bridge spasm. Yeah, he kind of just jerks his whole body out of the hold. It's some, it comes across as something that like Han isn't expecting. He looks as though he's he's almost got this Kimura locked in, or he's gonna. And then um, Tamura just does something that is like you won't find in any coaching manual, but it's just like quite extraordinary. And and it really gets the crowd um, like they pop so hard for a man just a man's body just spasming out out of a hold like that that escape. The crowd makes this match as well, by the way. Like they're into fucking everything. And when presented with something like this, how could you not be? No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I've popped over a few spasming male bodies before. <laughs> For fuck's sake! Sorry. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. Like this um, stuff. I also like in con uh, in contrast to the uh, Anita match. Tomorrow does a kind of spinning and security hand just no sells it. <laughs> like too pro wrestling yeah. for me. I'm <laughs> I must no sell. Yes, incredible. Oh, what a ride this is! Just an incredible match. All right. So I, I've talked before about how. I, I've kind of like since the pandemic I fell in love with wrestling and I love doing this podcast because it's I only watch actual wrestling that I enjoy as opposed to what stuff that I don't necessarily enjoy so to give yeah. you an example I watched uh, I watched Backlash yesterday oh, oh no I, I, can, I can't tell you anything about it because I just immediately tuned out and done something else but had it on in the background yeah, I, I I can't watch wrestling these days. I, I, don't, I don't really care like modern day wrestling. I'm just not interested whatsoever. But so I, I, and every time I go into these matches, I'm like, I just don't have the love for wrestling I do anymore. And then I watched this, and like the first five ten minutes, I was out of my seat, just going fucking hell at this, at like these holds, absolutely just like, oh yeah, this is why I love pro wrestling. It's it's shit like this, the pace and the we talked before about the sort of the art of the struggle. Um, yeah. And sort of like a wrestling match isn't just the moves; it's about everything in between the moves as well. It's about the dead air and the radio silence, and you being able to use that. So again, yeah. good example being the Halm Tadeo Bitsadze stare going a bit too yeah. long. They yeah. done nothing, but it but it, it just it made it that much better. And this I match mean, I mean, is so spoke, good for yeah. that. Yeah, um, well, when we spoke to Daniel McCarver, he mentioned about working with Timothy Thatcher and like you know that. That, that one of the things that you really learned from him was like, you know, that, you know, the, the, one of the key things to do in a wrestling match to actually get things over is just like, just fucking struggle. Just make it look like a struggle, you know? Yeah. And this is what characterizes the great shoot style wrestlers from the not so good ones is that they, they are great technically, but also they've got this sense of showmanship um, yeah. ab- about them. And like, yeah, that Thatcher is a, is, is a great example of that. Like, um, mm. you know, while see, like when you first see him, he seems to be quite dry, but then once you yeah. like, you watch a few of his matches and like it, you tune um, into it. Yeah, exactly. Like you get with his vibe. I mean, like there's, 
I think there's only one knockdown in this in this whole match um, because it, it seems it seems like the the point system has changed yet again um, in this. Yeah. So now instead of uh, <laughs> breaks and knockdowns being counted uh, as separate things and three breaks equaling an, equaling one knockdown or whatever, what you've got now is a combined point system, uh, kind of similar to what UWFI did, in which a break counts for one point and a down counts for two, and if you get to the limit, then your uh, then you you lose by TKO or, or something. But like this match is so map based that like no one ever gets close to that. The only the only down is and, and again it's it's great because it gets such a pop because it's like it's so unexpected um, in relation to what's gone before is in that um, and it's it's the the down comes from probably the ugliest thing in the match, which is where Tamura does a high kick which Volkan blocks and then he kind of just does. It's like a thrust kick, like into Han's stomach, like he yeah, just yeah. His leg and boots him. It's like yeah. the kind of thing you might do in a if you were fighting some drunk in the street. Um, like it's it's so ungainly, and like that gets an eight an, an eight count, and it's like yeah, it's 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 so fucking good because and it gets it really comes across in a sense because like Volkan is getting Tamura closer and closer and closer. It mm. comes out as a kind of desperate last throw of the dice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it does. Because, like, I, I'm, I'm going to argue. Oh, go on. Things like this are really integral to making shoot wrestling work. Yes. And that you can be the greatest grappler and suplex or whatever and do everything crisp and clean and do everything absolutely bang on the button. But real life isn't bang on the button. Real life no. is. Oshishianita versus Grigori Veritev of like <laughs> people's necks being folded. Guys who can't work in construction because their knees are fucked doing like drop kicks out of nowhere and stuff like that. Like that that's what that's what real fighting is. Real fighting like as much as, you know, the, the BGJ dojo arseholes would love to argue otherwise, like actual physical combat it, it's not a regimented series of grapples and holes and stuff like that. It's about using your wits and it's about having a bit about yourself and being able to pull stuff out of the bag. Mm-hmm. And this is a great example of it and that this is a real thing like where you go, oh fuck, like you do it yeah. if you're watching a fight and someone just comes out with something mad, which happens in normal street fights. That's far more real than any well-executed armbar or anything like that. And yeah, mm. it's, it's a real integral part that I think a lot of shoot guys now they, they they miss that because they yeah. don't have any sort of foibles and the foibles are what makes it real yeah and absolutely that this actually that that, that kicked his stomach just made it even more fun for me because I, I just yeah you can apply this to regular wrestling to be honest like um and we, we've talked about this with uh, luke who's been on the podcast uh, a, a couple of times Think of a latter-day Will Ospreay match where, like, all of the moves are just executed absolutely flawlessly, but the whole package leaves you utterly cold because yeah. it's... I mean, like, New Japan being a very cold and sterile promotion doesn't especially help matters, but the way in which, like, the match is too perfect, uh, whereas if, like... It, it's really interesting to see, like, OK, if someone, like, if something doesn't quite land, uh, how do you recover from it? That's how you... Uh, you show you know who the really great workers are. Take Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25, like one of the all-time classic WWE matches. There's like three spots in that match that don't land properly, that they fuck up. I mean, there's not just the the bit where the cameraman doesn't catch the dive. Like there's a couple of others as well. But like it it doesn't matter because the whole the whole package is so good and feels so momentous that like you don't even care that it, not everything is is cleanly executed and yeah yeah you you like shoot style absolutely like it's not always pretty it does like this match is just 
a joy to watch and and so yeah when you get something like this sort of intruding into it from almost another world um you know the world of the back alley brawl um it, yeah. it, it kind it kind of really sells it as this as this big pivotal moment because after this um i think that's that's tamura's last offensive move of any note he does a couple of knees in the clinch but Volkan takes him back down to that modified figure figure four and a kind of double heel hook where he just gets both of the um of of the guy's uh legs uh, under his arm from which Tamura gets the ropes and he does a few more kicks but um and the the finish is kind of like I guess sort of out of nowhere really it's not it, it, it doesn't build to a crescendo really like Volkan just picks his leg and does a heel hook and wins but like yeah. the, the just that brief struggle where you realize ah shit like tomorrow is a bit too far from the ropes to actually get out of this yeah and like well, just you know, the, but, but, but because they've yeah. been threatened the whole story of the match is that all the way through they, they, they they've, they've played it out as if at any second at the drop of a hat any of these guys can submit each other within you know with, within two seconds it, it works it doesn't feel underwhelming i don't think yeah and, and that's why you can easily you can more easily excuse stuff like that if there is an out of nowhere finish in a shoot style match as opposed to uh, you know, a sports entertainment style match where, say, like, you know, um, it always comes across as really weird. Like, you know, you know, when Brock Lesnar just can't be fucked and they do a few yeah. moves and then he just hits an F5 out of nowhere six minutes in and ends. And it feels really unsatisfying because within the logic of that particular style of wrestling, which can be very good under the under the right circumstances, like it's just like, OK, OK, that's kind of like you've not really built to this and you've not created for us a world in which something like this can happen and yeah. can be a satisfying ending. If I had to make one very slight criticism of this match, and this is purely a subjective thing, I'm not saying this is like an, uh, you know, an objective fault of it. There's a few submissions which are seemingly completely applied and are not the finish. And, you know, one of the wrestlers is in the hold for like, well, longer than you would be if someone had a fully extended like arm bar on yeah, you in a yeah, shoot. Yeah, totally. You wouldn't be there for two minutes like you, you, you would tap. So like that's the one thing that you, you may say, OK, if you showed it to someone who really knew the run about MMA, they would go, well, that's a bit weird. But I mean, that is completely a subjective criticism. And like your yeah. mileage may vary on it. And you could argue that it makes them just seem superhuman. The fact that they can they could survive an arm bar for a couple of seconds just by sheer force of will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, yeah. You know, and there are people out there that to this day will, will you know, don't like shoot style uh, because they say, "Why would I watch that? MMA exists." Um, and, 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 and I get that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think that, that that that's a perfectly reasonable position to have as well. I just so happen to, when it's good, I think this shit's great, and this is the best example of it. Yeah, we've basically had like the two great kinds of shoot style match, um, like yeah. the last last two bouts. We've got this, like technically fabulous really dramatic and then we've got just two guys from completely different fighting traditions <laughs> just teeing off on each other and that's great as well both yeah, great yeah. matches in their own way if i had to like you know maybe maybe may, may tyro versus versus uh versus tony <laughs> a little bit a little, little bit better be that as it may um no i'm kidding this is fantastic it's just six, six and a quarter stars yeah phenomenal shit. yeah like it's it's incredible like it's like like it's otherworldly like and just in terms of how good it is but again like it's one of those things where like oh it doesn't build to a crescendo and you're like but do fights build to a crescendo does that actually happen really no exactly like it's i don't know i i absolutely adored this and the transitions i'll spend you could you could spend decades of your life studying the transitions in this match from hold to hold and trying to fully you know, as you say, you know, it's the, the 9,000 
you know, in names of God, you spend your time writing them all down. By the time you do it, you know, the stars are falling. Yeah. Like, you yeah. could absolutely do that. With you, this you, you could become more obsessed with transitions than J.K. Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not possible. <laughs> no, it literally isn't. Fuck J.K. Rowling. Fuck Putin. I love how and we, fuck uh, J.K. Rowling. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, two fuck allies. Putin, fuck J.K. Rowling and fuck Tony Hall. <laughs> yes. I, I was going to say we were all worried about people being offended by us covering this, but then just uh, proceeded to make J.K. Rowling jokes and uh, just review a Tony Hall match. Um, we're really, we're really not think, doing well. I think I, went, we, I, we think I was quite sensitive and went quite easy on Tony Hall. Yeah, 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 like you want to see what Daniel says about Tony Helm when you, you know after uh, after recording ends. And yeah, his yeah. You print personal it. collection, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terry yeah. Riley selling you a bootleg a bootleg cassette, and it's just it's just Daniel just calling Tony Helm a cunt for ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so yeah, um, s- s- surrounded by bulldogs. Yeah. I'd buy it in a distro. <laughs> So our next match, the fourth of our five consecutive matches from Rings, is from the 22nd of July, 1997. It pits uh, Rings Japan's Tsuyoshi Kosaka versus uh, another Georgian, uh, Grom Zaza, not to be confused with his brother Simone, um, who is... Um, right, Grom Zaza, let's, let's talk about him. Let, let's play the game again. How old do you reckon this guy was at the time of the match? Oh, God, well, no. Um... Hmm. So, are we assuming that the hair is grey? Well, it, yes. It's it's salt and pepper, isn't it? That's yeah. been a bit generous, but I think there Possibly was more white so, than yeah. black in it. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. A, an awful lot of salt. Like, a lot of sodium in his intake. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and that hair. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to upset him because I know he'll be like <laughs> 92,000 years old now and probably will still be able to kill me. So <laughs> I'll, sure. I'll go for 32, the the best age, the, the prime of his life. <laughs> you know, Is yeah. Um, I'm gonna go for. You know what? I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna in keeping with the uh, the 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 bemusingly sort of like bafflingly young um, when they look fucking ancient wrestlers that as his tradition. I'm gonna say that he's 26. Um. Okay. David's closest. He's 31. Okay, yeah, so uh, not not that much yeah, of a difference then. In yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like if you asked um people who are unfamiliar with the uh, the preternaturally withered so- Soviet shooters, <laughs> um then they probably would have said something closer to forty. But you guys kind of know know the score by now. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. This that's would fair. be a fantastic <laughs> if we ever do a Puripuri like pub quiz. Yeah, this would be a fantastic <laughs> round of guess how old these aging Soviet shooters are. They're all twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, it, it's it's the wrestling equivalent of the uh, '80s footballers aging badly Twitter account, which is yes. very much worth worth a follow. Phenomenal. Um, so um, record uh, going into this is seven and nine, um, and he. Now I was looking forward to this match quite a lot because a uh, friend of the pod, Jose Fernandez, a man who has watched quite a lot of '90s wrestling, rated Zaza as the worst of the shooters from no the former Soviet Union. No way. Completely disagree. Really? Okay, that's that's, yeah, that, that's he's good. He's, he, he is good. He didn't um, fucking show it in this match. <laughs> I think he's good in this match. I think this is a good match. Okay. Yeah, 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 I actually quite enjoyed this match. I, I would say at this point, um, the immortal TK Scissors blog, where as a guy who had every ring show on on DVDR and just blogged all of them, 
Um, he he brought up Zaza for this for basically his pickups in this. He picks everyone with with way too much ease, as if it's like you know a a, a bag of shopping, but not like bottles or anything, just like a normal um, and. There's no struggle to it whatsoever, and I, I kind of didn't notice that. But he also said that Grom Saza is amazing as well, so hardly, I, I hardly had the boot stuck in. But I, I don't know if I don't know if I go with that Grom Saza is brilliant, Jose. Come on, <laughs> right, right? He's got he's got he's got like he's got really decent takedowns. Um, is 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 limb work in this match is excellent, I think. Um, and I think he's he, he's he moves quickly between transitions really well, quicker than some of the other guys that we've seen here. Um, I think he's slicker in this match than Kopolov is, and the match we watched before. Yeah, that's um, there's some really nice sequences in this. There's the, um, there's a, a, a a neck lock exchange between the two of them where they they, they flip round and roll through, um, which is it has this like really nice little kind of like scramble on it. Um, there's um, the, the, there's a really really uh, like sort of nice bit where. They're going through. Um, I can't remember whether it's like a heel hook or like a knee bar or something. Um, but like basically, he ends up having to uh, to, to to do a rope break. Um, I think his um his sense of like um peril on that is is pretty good. Um, and I think that overall, um, other than Han and Tamura, which is its own universe and its own stratosphere, really. Not that this necessarily this is a conversation we can have, but this doesn't necessarily make it a good shoot style match. But I think that it's probably. In a lot of ways, it, it, it's the one that feels um, a little bit more natural in some ways than, than some of the other ones. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I think Zaza's pretty good in this. Like, it's not spectacular, but I don't think he's like I, you would watch his stuff here and be like, he is the outstanding worst pick of the bunch by any stretch. Yeah, I need to ask Jose what his criteria for this uh, for this was. I mean, to be fair to them, like, I think this might have suffered in my mind uh, at the time I was making my notes by the fact that I watched these matches in order and so it immediately followed Volkan yeah. versus Koshi Tamura. but I mean um, I actually find that with shoot style these days I can really I can take about one match at a time and then I've got to watch something else oh yeah, uh, yeah. don't, don't, so yeah, that, that don't, makes don't sense. watch a load in, in uh, succession but having said that like now that we've been talking about Maeda versus Kopolov, like, uh, yeah, I think this match maybe seems better to me again when I just remembered uh, how I felt watching that. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, Kasaka, meanwhile, is uh, 14 and 12. So we mentioned him earlier in the episode. He was one of the sort of big three of rings, really, uh, from the Japanese side, along with Maeda and Tamura. Um, if you haven't seen his, uh, well, there's a particularly famous match of his against Tamura, which goes to a half hour draw, which you may think, oh, I don't know about that, because like a lot of shoot style matches I, I they tend to be i like short and sweet matches like i think longer ones sometimes they tend to lose a bit no this is half an hour of pure technical mastery it's incredible possibly the greatest shoot style match ever um yeah. it's maybe that or one of the tamura versus volcan yeah, matches it's um, incredible yeah K- kasaka was a um sort of a, a mainstay of of rings sort of not i mean if you look at his record here he's not like a sort of main event pushed guy at this stage but like yeah. When, when you look back at the promotion, he's one of the guys who really uh, stands out. Uh, the the opening of this match amused me a lot because, um, I mean, Moisaza did a kind of, um, almost like a scoop slam type thing to start. And then we got dueling heel hook attempts again. And my brain sort of, you know. Um, <laughs> so you, you know, like heel hooks, do you? We'll have all the heel hooks in the world. Well, you, you know, like that famous PWG match where uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson work ahead yeah. of 11 minutes. Um, th- there's a story where in the next match, someone does a headlock and a guy in the crowd just goes, no. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me here when they're going for the uh, the heel hooks, and I th- I think one of the reasons, like I think I think Zaza didn't make a great first impression on me was like some of these palm strikes in the opening. They're a bit anemic, really. Like there's not a lot of uh, oomph or or, or pizzazz um, uh, behind them. But I think like quite soon, um, the one of the, the probably my my favourite thing about the match. Um, is that the the point system actually came into it like it looked as though um kasaka throughout this match is threatening to lose on points and that's not something we've really seen in the other match with the exception of the four downs that um bit sad did to helm um so i I guess i guess it came into it there but like this was one where it's like yeah zaza's submissions are really working on uh kasaka and um yeah like he i think he'd get by the end of the match he's got like one point left so like it's 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 quite it's quite touch and go like that like a lot of the drama in this match uh, kind of um, revolved around that. I'm not sure it made Kosaka look amazing considering like well I mean it made Zaza look good obviously like the ease with which he was able to lock, lock the guy into submissions. But there did come a point at which you're like Kosaka laugh for fuck's sake man you've got like the fourth time he gets caught in an ankle lock and has to reach for the ropes. Yeah yeah. But uh, it's uh, it's yeah. I mean, once. shame on me, etc., etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Times. You, you won't get fooled again. Um, but, um, the uh, there's some good downs early in the match as well, including there's one in particular. I there's, there's a bit where I don't know what move this was meant to be, but Zaza just kind of fucked Kasaka onto the floor for nine. I think he like it looked like he got him in the stomach. But like this was this was a really great moment because Kasaka looked like he was spark out on his face like right up yeah. until eight and then he gets got up very quickly which is maybe not especially realistic but it did uh did um add some you drama you hit in the bread basket george like give him a minute Fuck I mean, shit. And we all, yeah we all know that when when the bread basket gets hit that that, that that's you know like yeah, and, that, and that, that's it right after that zaza tries to pick the leg and kosaka is like well i have departed from uh the strictures of verisimilitude uh just now i'm doing enzigiri <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was that, that was uh, that was fun. And um, there is a bit where it looked like we we were going to get a water wheel drop. And like it was like oh, yeah. li- light, light, the light, the David Forrest beacons, a chain of them all the way from <laughs> Rohan to Woodingston. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't happen. Zaza just does a kind of slightly rubbish-looking slam, and uh, this is the point at which Kasaka's only got th- uh, three points uh, left. I do actually like that the stand-up after this is kind of tentative. Like Kasaka knows, yeah. so it's like shit. If I get downed again, that's like I'm on my last legs. So that that uh, that 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 made me that made me smile. That was that was that was. Uh, I think I'm talking myself into liking this match more. Like the more more and more talk about it, uh, to be honest. And and then after uh, another break, there was a both this and the next match we're going to talk about have one absolutely mystifying moment involving the referee. And uh, so I just want to talk about it for a bit. So like the ref is rubbing Zaza's leg for a good 15, 20 seconds, like in the middle of this fight, like. Can we try and like come to a conclusion as to what well, that was about? I I I I was thinking um, uh, uh, World Cup final 1994 style cramp. <laughs> the I was thinking that uh, I mean obviously this was not the case, but like it very much looked like the ref was like checking for a loaded pad in the in in like the knee, 
like over in, in the really booth. what it looked like i'm like mate we're like six minutes into this match and you, you think you still got some sort of william regal style brass knucks like don't fucking <laughs> check this before what, what the actual, i would i would have loved it if they they had done like the sort of the the william regal big show finish <laughs> yes <laughs> Pulling out a brass knuckles and just getting landed on by Kasaka. Yeah, I mean, I think what it was, he was like, I think he was trying to, like, I think his knee pad had like slid down his leg, and the referee was helping. That's what I thought it was as well. I don't know why the ref needs to help him with that though. Surely that's that's even more like uh, even more difficult to fix if someone else is doing it for you because it's your knee. Do you know what I mean? You have to tell him, yes, and it's in position. Do it yourself. Like then you'll know where. I don't know. It's if so if strange. if if you the um, the loyal per pod, per podcast audience have any theories as to what was going on here, if you've watched this match, uh, you can DM us at Hanlum Lament, and uh, we will uh, <laughs> we will fly in the fullness of time. Um, can you there's... imagine if you're just watching like the Premier League and it was like Leeds versus I don't know fucking Everton or something like that, and just halfway through Patrick goes Bamford <laughs> goes up to the referee and goes, can you give me give me a wee shiggle? <laughs> and my shin pads, sort of, like what the actual fuck is so bizarre yeah I, I i kind of i kind of i kind of feel like just as a basic point of principle the referee should not be aiding the fighters in any way yeah you think so yeah that, that would be yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Outside um, of cutting but, them out of barbed wire and death matches like this that's the only yeah, time and, when it's acceptable or, 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 like, or, or maybe 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 his inspiration for getting into uh, refereeing was um, legendarily villainous uh, United fucking uh, Homer uh, and public schoolmaster tough twat David Ellery. Um, uh, maybe, yeah. Who knows? Uh, the pain still runs. The f- 15 Premier League titles, Man City, and <laughs> look, 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 look. That 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 look. That penalty that he gave in 1995 was never a penalty. All right, everyone knows that. U- Uve was being fucking lent on, not the other way around. <laughs> I I just look. I just love this because, like, on one hand, uh, like I really like there's there's sort of some Johnny come latelys to the City fandom, but like you're someone who's like, look, you followed them when they were shite, and so I can't begrudge you any of your petrodollar fueled uh, championship wins. But at the same time, like it just goes to show money can't buy happiness because you're still, you're still fixated no. on the stuff from when Man City were bollocks. No, no yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still, still, still upset by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man, Man City could, like, I guarantee Man City at some point in the next couple of years will win the Champions League and you'll still spend about an hour or two after us going, I fucking hate Alan Ball. He said he, he said he's the best <laughs> in the house for that look, game where look, he conceded look, six look, we, to Liverpool. We can, we could win six fucking Champions Leagues in a fucking row. I'd still be pissed off that fucking Alan Ball swapped Jerry Craney for Paul Walsh. <laughs> I don't know. Other way, well, of those men the, are. Just, just to clarify, the, the, I'm, I'm pissed off because we gave Paul Walsh away and got Jerry Craney in return. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I, I will Google those men later. Um, so, uh, the... Um, Getting towards the end, there's um there's there's another break uh, that Kasaka takes this time to escape a triangle choke. So he's got like um, two points remaining at this point, and uh, then the, the, then there's a good little bit after that because like Zaza is and you, you can actually see from the scoreboard he's got the better of this um, match so far. But there's a there's a there's a nice bit after that where Kasaka gets the armbar almost fully extended, and Zaza just about reaches the rose like the, his toe is touching it. And like, yeah, very, very close. After this, Zaza lumbers in with some more palm strikes with uh, 
very little effect. Another break for Kasaku is down to one point, and uh, fortuitously enough, after that, then we get the finish, which is um, Zaza tries the dreaded side headlock takeover um, in in this, and then um, Kasaka kind of slips out quite easily, gets his back and wins with a rear naked choke. So it's just like basically a less good version of the finish from the uh, Maeda Kopolov fight. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's like a sort of a, a slightly underwhelming inversion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I think to to be fair, I think I I I like this match more now. I've just had time to think about it a bit, and you guys sort of convince convince me a, a, a bit more. But um, it was it was not like the flashiest fight. Um, uh, there was none of the pyrotechnics of a bit sadze or dare I say it, no. Tony Helm. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, it was it was fine. Like the the post match interview uh, wasn't especially remarkable, except we get a weirdly lingering shot of uh, Kasaka's foot at one point. Um, Quentin Tarantino behind the camera clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, also of note is that uh, for some bizarre reason the video that Daily Motion auto played right after I watched this was Tori Wilson and Maven backstage SmackDown 16th of May 2002. <laughs> can we? Can we just? Can I just at this point interject to talk about Daily Motion? Because <laughs> we're calling you. We're putting Daily Motion on notice. <laughs> I, welcome, I welcome Daily Motion, but would encourage you to go further by removing adverts from the platform and allowing you to use your app. Right, right. So, I, I, there's, there's, I, I'm a pretty chill man when it comes to things. Right, three things that I, I vehemently despise and boycott at all. At all things. Israel, the sun, and the blue lagoon. We know this, right? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair dudes. Fair dudes on all fronts. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Exactly. But Daily Motion might be making, they might be the fourth pillar in this. <laughs> that I, dis- I despise them with the fire of a thousand suns. I would, I want to buy them over and then immediately shutter them so that, they, like, th- there has got to be something better than this. This cannot be. Show you how annoying they are. The adverts. It's great that Ariel are partnering with the WWF to help stop climate <laughs> change, right? Fantastic. Well done. You know, I don't need to see it six times in this match. And I think I might just periodically through this episode put in the advert in between, like, in mid-sentence in here. Just so everyone else has to suffer. Fucking annoying it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it's always just... at bits where it's like, oh, he's got the arm behind it's nearly fully extended and he can't get to the road. <laughs> I, mean, me, I mean this advert this advert uh i mean look all this advertising doesn't work on me anyway would you like to see my new pandora bracelet um i should also add to this that uh, david in his past as a goth was also boycotting the sun in a very real sense um so yeah, yes, yeah yeah i mean yeah daily motions the, the thing you have to say for daily motion this is about the only thing you have to say for it is that um it they're, they're more lax on copyright than youtube is <laughs> so yes, you're, you're more likely but like that, that that always used to be but they have been uh superseded in this market by uh upstart newcomers such as billy billy 
hello, hello. We are the Belly Belly Boys. <laughs> I did I did pause waiting for someone to insert a joke. <laughs> and um and latterly uh Rootube and even even before the uh even before yes. the, the the current unpleasantness. There was that other one, wasn't it? Like, uh, to- like uh, to- Tokaru, Turuku or something. There was two cards. Uh, there was another uh, one. Uh, Rootube yeah. was was until it got like too virus infested even for me to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, the, I once, I once get fucking, I once get fucking copyright claimed on YouTube. I was, <laughs> be, the only person to have ever copyright claimed on YouTube. I mean, yes, I was using footage in the Belarusian Premier League. That's not the point. But like, like, who is who's watching this? Like, what, what, <laughs> what copyright? I know it was in the house in days of like June twenty twenty. When you know sales of disco records are mingling up year on year in the 1970s, and if these projections continue, eh? But I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, like Rootub was great for so long, and then it kind of coincided with the like, old oh, lads. There's a thing called copyright, and as well as that, more patch in wrestling because he got a girlfriend, and it was just <laughs> he I, was I, right I, to do it. He was absolutely right to do it, and I think it. I think it actually did kill my entire interest in modern Japanese professional wrestling when it happened. <laughs> but, if only anyone was been so sensible glad. enough to patch wrestling when we got a girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, uh, solidarity with Mark's girlfriend. You are an absolute hero. You've you've done the Lord's work by getting me to to go as any interest in Japanese professional wrestling, and uh, we'll for, never forget. Yeah. So like, I mean, yeah, I I I I think I would actually, in hindsight, rank this above. Um, well, I'd rank it above Maeda versus Kopilov. I I don't think I'd rank it above any of the other matches we've watched so far, though, even though, like, two of them I mostly like for freak show uh, purposes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, that's probably fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty good. Like, I would, um, I would be interested to see some more from... Well, I, I, I am familiar with Kasaka, not so much from Zaza. Yeah, like, he was... he was I, I wasn't especially blown away by him in this match, but we are comparing him to, you know, other guys who I uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed more. So, like, uh, yes, I shall, I shall ask Jose what the bloody hell he was uh, playing at. Um, <laughs> so, moving on to our final match. And uh, so I'm... I'm I'm looking forward to talking about this, not so much for the match, although I, I found the match quite entertaining, uh, but because of uh, one of one of the gentlemen involved in this match has a uh, controversial legacy, shall we say. So this is the 28th of March, 1999. Uh, the Japanese wrestler we have here is Hiromitsu Kanahara, who I did. Did we talk about him when Daniel Makabe was on the was on the podcast? Possibly. Because I think because yeah, he did he did some stuff in New Japan uh, later, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we might yeah, have done. Yeah, we might have done. Dark yeah. ages, like early two thousands juniors. Yeah, yeah. I I remember I remember that. Yeah. He, yeah. So really good. And um and uh, his opponent here and like Kanahara was not like a well in fact according to the graphics he's actually making his debut in this match. So certainly not an established guy in rings um, at this point. His opponent, however. Is um like re- really we're talking about Kanahara because like this was the match I happened to find and we'd already used all of the uh, like the prominent rings guys. Um, so um his opponent won Mikhail Ilyakin. So um when I was I don't know if you guys came across this when you were um uh, doing a bit of googling, but uh, I found a uh, Sherdog article by a chap called Lev Pisarsky <laughs> called "The Shady Legacy of Mikhail Ilyakin." Um, so I was uh, obviously. Has there I'm, ever been an article that has started with the headline of "The Shady Legacy of"? 
and his yeah. name that has not been absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, yeah. Where, where I haven't just smashed the fucking click through like straight. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. That's like you know all these fucking um, fancy techniques for like uh, you know enticing people to click on clickbait and uh, SEO optimization, all that bollocks. No, the shady legacy. Three simple words that will change your life, my friend. Um, so um, I, I I read the article and here's a little uh, little pricey of what uh, Ilya Keen had been getting up to in the years leading up to this. So uh, he was one of the first prominent MMA fighters in Russia. Uh, there was a promotion in uh, in 1995. Two things happened. Oleg Taktorov won a UFC tournament um, and IAFC was uh, a promotion that launched in Moscow in, in the same year, 1995. And uh, on the first show, Ilyakhin won the tournament. Now, you know how looking back the old UFC tournament, the idea of someone having three MMA fights in a night, you're like, hmm, <laughs> that's maybe not something that should have happened. Anyway, the IAFC yeah. tournaments, you had to win five matches in a night. Hell. And, um, and Ilya Keen uh, won, uh, won the first tournament, he won five fights in a night. However, his um, apparently his first four opponents were did really not have any sort of skill and he tapped them out in a combined three minutes. Um, so it, it was actually not a very long night Thank God. Yeah. For, for this guy. And um, yes, no stranger to controversy um, uh, really from the outset of his uh, career in IAFC at a, later, a show later that year. He scored a win against uh, the guy we mentioned previously, the Ukrainian freight train Igorov Chanchin. Um, but by somewhat nefarious means, he um, basically they were sort of grappling together on the floor and uh, Ilya Keen like pushed his chin into Volchantin's eye socket. And then oh, Volchantin oh, tapped out. Um, and, And uh, and then Ilya Kim was like, "What me? I didn't do anything uh, untoward." The ref couldn't see it. Um, that that was uh, not he. That was uh, not his only shithousery that night. His uh, <laughs> opponent in the semi-final of this tournament was a uh, so uh, Ilya Kim was a sambo guy uh, like Volkan and Kopilov. His semi-final opponent was a training partner of his, and apparently he got him down to the floor and tapped him out almost immediately. Uh, the, a quote from this article <laughs> says, it makes Mark Coleman versus Nobuhiko Takada seem legitimate and serious by comparison. <laughs> Ilyev's training partner disgraces America. <laughs> and um, there was lots of uh, other bad behaviour in the ring, aside from this as well, like numerous uh, numerous acts of cheating, uh, attacking downed opponents against the rules, hitting people after the bell. Like, Wait, what, he's what using the, a freaking ladder set? for Christ's sake. What, what, what was the rule set? It wasn't like NHB or valley tudor was it like you know it can't be unified rules was it no i i i have to say i don't know but this was like later in his career um okay uh, who would have thought that like um akira maeda would possibly not be in the top three worst people we have mentioned <laughs> on the episode putin being number one obviously yeah. and then we've got like i mean to noted... be fair it's quite a big drop off oh well, yeah yes <laughs> yes obviously and then we've got <laughs> n- noted dead racist tony halm and then we've got this guy. <laughs> oh no i forgot about tony halm no actually he's right up there yeah yeah and then we've got this guy who um i <laughs> i've heard of because like when I wrote the rise of the Rush, <laughs> like, is the fourth least worst person. <laughs> I had to comb through a lot of old observers, and uh, Ilya Kim was always mentioned. Yeah, and actually, he was always 
we've got the same thing that happened with uh, Bit Sadze, who was always mentioned as Ilyakim Mikhail because that's the yeah. name they had on so, the screen in rings. So this is this has just reminded me of an incident that occurred on, a, on on Twitter recently where there was some melt mate with a terrible opinion that was getting shared a lot and his name was Michael Jackson and somebody <laughs> but just, somebody just posted imagine being only the third worst person with that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um I mean one one um regret I had I was sadly unable to find footage of Ilya King's last pro wrestling match which was in 2005 against Toshiaki Kawada. What the right. fuck? Hard, hard on, hard on. Hang on. Is that the same year as you know you know for the Triple Crown? No, no, it, it wasn't. It wasn't for the Triple Crown. It was um, a promotion called U Style, I believe. Oh, okay, yeah. It sounds like it's, a sofa it's... company. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some U Style before. I'm trying to remember whose company that is. Is that not? Is that someone's company? Isn't it? Is that... It's not well, actually. I mean, every other piece of window is Daniel. Huh? Until, the, until the revolution happens and anarchism well, takes flight. Are, are you are you thinking of safe state windows that my friend used to prank call every Possibly, day of yeah. his way to school? Shoot yeah. star windows. <laughs> oh um oh no it's um it's it's tomorrow's promotion. Oh yeah 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 okay yeah so I guess he but that makes sense because I he'll be able to get Iliakin and Iliakin had I believe not done pro wrestling for like well, since the 90s at this point, but he had like a fucking four-minute match against Kawada. <laughs> really, really I, weird. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just looking this up. There's, um, there's, a, whole, um, there's a whole thread on U-Style um, on Pro Wrestling Only. Um, of course there is. And, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, Murahama, who um, was in that magnificent um, uh, match that we reviewed with uh, Daniel Makabe, um, is uh, was also um, in, in there later on in his career. Um, so uh, I might have to check, check some more of that shit out. Um, Josh Barnett's in it. Um, yeah, that sounds like, about uh, it. Mid 2000 shoot style is like yeah. a big blind spot for me. Despite the fact there was like a weirdly high amount of it, because there was that there was there was a lot of like it wasn't a shoot style promotion, but there's a lot of that sort of thing in Big Mouth Loud. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so and, yeah. and all that. Oh, yeah. um, we'll actually be talking about Big Mouth Loud uh, in a couple of episodes' time, so do uh, uh, do hold hold uh, you know hold on to your excitement for that. Um, Kanahara here is um, comes out wearing this lovely baggy white poncho to some. Excellent rip-off John Williams-type music. Yeah. Uh, that, was, uh, that, that was very good. Um, Ilya King comes out to some uh, metal. Uh, I noticed at this point, facially, he looks a lot like Dynamite Kid and might have been, oh. an, might have been an even bigger cunt. Somehow. Yes, I, I had the same thought, <laughs> funnily enough. I actually had two thoughts. I thought, well, uh, I thought Mikhail looks a bit like um, either Sean Ryder's swole brother um, or I thought, yes, a bit like one Tom Billington. So I thought I might christen him the Dynamite Fridge. Because <laughs> he's, he's a man of courage. Uh, he's he's he a man of courage. Uh, you know. Um, so so yeah, I'm, I'm glad we had the same thought there. I would say um, Ilyakin's metal theme on 1.5 speed fucking bangs. By the way, <laughs> did you watch this on 1.5 speed as well? Because there was no reason to watch this on 1.5 speed. This match is actually good. <laughs> No, I, 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 I went for the intros at 1.5 speed. Ilyakin's um, at 1.5 speed is, is, cr- is a cracking riff. Um, I definitely recommend it. <laughs> Sound, sounds like fucking Racer X. <laughs> like, um, so, uh, you slow yeah. it down, it sounds like Static X. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> RIP. Yes. This is what I, I'm just remembering saying to David the first time I stayed in this spare room and like it's got all old there's all old Kerrang clippings from the two thousands. I was like, Yeah, I had, I had a great time. I've never seen so many pictures of Wayne Static in the same place at the same time. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, I mean so, it, someone's it, gotta do it. 
it's, it's a level underneath him, the Partridge house that he goes to. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> you just like rip open your shirt, you've got a big tattoo of Wayne Static's face. <laughs> it took 14 hours. I fainted twice. <laughs> <laughs> the Static X people. The Static X people, then. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake, man. We got, we got, we 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 got, we got to start talking about this match. Or we'll never finish. Um. So yeah. Um. So yeah. Kanahara making his debut against Ilikin, who was eight and nine. So another, another mid carder. Um. Now this match had the the kind of thing I like in um. Uh, in shoot style, like when it, as I said previously in the episode, um, when it's all grappling, can be a bit dry. And I think we've seen earlier the pitfalls of a match that is all striking, even though that was uh, that was uh, a hoot and a holler. Um, but um, Kanahara's got that nice sort of mix of of uh, strikes and grappling yeah. that kind of is what I find most interesting about shoot style. Because he looks like he's trying to fucking take Ilyakin's head off at the start of this. His it's, it's, it's kicks on his knees are really good. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's 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 brilliant. Like it's um, like just just at, at the start, I and mean, there's some good sort of logically, it's not that different from the Maeda match, but like there's, there's a lot of like exchanging holds, but like the 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 the, the difference is that they're doing different holds, <laughs> like, yeah, from uh, from yeah. minute to minute, and uh, therefore it's um, I there's also nearly a power bomb at the start of this. Um, that yeah. Ilya Keen does. Yeah. He kind of just he kind of just drops Kanahara, and it's like the water wheel drop from the last match. Oh, for fuck's sake, no! Like follow through. I, I did have I did have my heart in my mouth at, at, at that point because I did yeah, think, oh would. god, this could this could be this could go either way. <laughs> yeah, the the it um, would be just our luck to like pick a match where like somebody just gets like breaks your neck. Yeah, imagine. like. The Rampage Jackson. Um, I mean, look, we very nearly did see a match where someone broke their neck in the FMW one. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's <laughs> very true. Yes. Um. So yeah, and um. But yeah, this uh. The, 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 right after that sort of quasi power bomb, um. There's like a, a thing that happens, and and it happens a couple of times actually, and it popped me big each time. Was that uh, Ilya Keen tried to do an arm bar, and uh, it didn't really take. And uh. To and you know it didn't take because like Kanahara just casually stands up and walks away. <laughs> Yeah, it's a big boy bollocks behaviour. It, it, it's it great. really like, is. It's, really a, it's a bit like the um the, the old fashioned Mark Hunt just walk away KO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um the thing that I um and another thing that I really liked uh in this is that um Iliakin like uh Shithouse though maybe clearly has a good idea of you sort of the, the the rudiments of sort of pro wrestling storytelling more so than some of his uh, some of his compatriots uh, may have done because like throughout the match. Like Kanahara's kicks start to bother him more and more and more. Like yeah. at the start, he's just shrugging them off, blocking them with ease, and and then sort of in the middle part of he goes, "Ooh, how you bastard!" And then like by the end, he's like really getting rocked by him. So like I uh, I, I I really I really enjoyed that. But like the the first um uh like yeah not not all of the grappling is like especially logically sound like there's a bit where Kanahara manages to roll himself into an armbar somehow. Um, but um there's there's enough good stuff in this match to um. Uh, to make it a, a a nice watch. I mean, the the first real big strike um, is actually not a kick, but like Kanahara just runs in with a flying knee. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really great. Ilya Ilyakin, like I, I mean, maybe this is in real life shit we coming through. But he kind of doesn't really sell it. He just like gets up at two. <laughs> and like, but like you hate to see in the modern game, isn't it? It's yeah. just it's, it's no room for that. Oh, bounce yeah. up, Barry. It was a really uh, a really sort of. Uh, 
Uh, a really nice strike. I think it deserved more selling than uh, Iliakin seemed willing to give it. And at this, it's at this point that we have our second bizarre, um, bizarre thing in as many uh, matches. I, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but um, there's a bit of they're doing a bit of grappling standing up after this. And Kanahara chucks something to the ref. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I saw this. I was thinking, is it a mouth guard or a sweatband? I think it's a red. I think it's a red sweatband, uh, which he very. I mean, this, this is arguably the most impressive thing in the match. He very very oh, yeah. quickly removes it and tosses it to the ref, who catches it first time and then this, sets this it aside. This is a cooler ver- It's a much cooler version of um of uh, Barack Obama um stay in that stage managed interview to make him look cooler. He catches the fly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, it's uh, the, they've they've dosed up the fly on MK Ultra and just uh, yeah. programmed it with it's a fly. Just been like, off you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just just so the president could look cool, and uh, which he absolutely was not, just a reprehensible shithouse. So maybe that bumps my down to fifth. Like we've got Putin, yeah. Barack Obama, <laughs> Tony Allen. Yeah. Mikhail Ilyakin. Um yeah, so um that uh, yeah, so I mean so okay, we've we've narrowed down what happened there. My question is why? Why is he removing his sweatband at this point? I don't know. You, you never th- just get this where like you you just you're just uncomfortable in something, you just like take something off, like a hoodie or something like that, or like you know, you're well, yeah, yeah, or... yeah. I do in I do in real life, not but like not when I'm sort of in the middle of a fight, and like at no point have I thought if I chuck this sweatband to the ref in while while I'm grappling this guy, maybe you would just think for a minute, is this gonna look fucking weird? <laughs> is this gonna look absolutely mental? Is this gonna have like three guys from Great Britain like pouring over just what this is all about twenty five years down the line? <laughs> I I hope he did think that, and that was the reason why he did it. He is he is perceiving reality at a a much a much greater level than any of us mere mortals. Um, the the crowd do uh, get properly hype at this grappling, which ends up with uh, dual heel hook attempts, uh, and then um, yeah. but then it gets it gets uh, they get into some more stuff after that. Like um, there's a bit where um, Ilya Keen's trying an Americana, and then Kanara kind of uh, very smartly shifts his weight and then end up on top in a sort of 69 position before trying to. Um, Lock in an armbar, and then we get another. Well, firstly, Iliakin tries a half crab before going back to the dual heel hook. And it's, at this point, I kind of wanted to ask a question, which is like, because in numerous of these matches that we have recorded, like the half Boston crab, he like gets a huge reaction from the crowd as like something they think is going to end end the match. It seems to be quite a prominent hold, which is weird because for obvious reasons, it has a very marginal status in actual MMA. Like I have never in my life seen a fight finished with a half crab. I'm sure it's arguably wrestling as well. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. to Boston crabs. Well, I was going to say, is it inherited from the given that these the the, the 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 genesis of all of these promotions is in some way in New Japan? Does it come from the the New Japan sort of like Young Lions thing? Was that even a thing at that point with the I, half I, crabs? I don't know. I think for I think probably, but like I I I I would find it weird. Like his rings, I think more so than any of the of the three of the promotions that splintered off from UWF tried to seem realistic. So yeah. I don't, but like, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to throw off what you've, you, you, what you've grown up with throughout your career, I guess. It just seemed very weird to me that like the half crab is so significant amongst all these, uh, like these holds, which are legitimately viable in a shoot. Um, and like the crowd pop huge for the, for the half crab, like just seems, seems kind of uh, a, little, a little bit strange to me. 
Yeah, it's a bit odd. Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, it does seem like after this that Iliakin is going to lock in the full Boston Crab, um, but uh, he's uh, he's uh, unable to. And um, and then like um, Kanahara just starts just wailing on uh, Iliakin with some kicks and slaps. And like, there's a bit after this where it seems like Iliakin is trying to lift Kanahara off the ground, and he can't quite do it. But that was one of these moments where it's like, oh, he's gonna absolutely fuck him if he um, if he does that. And then we get like a nice, really sort of. I don't know if this was meant to happen. I assume it wasn't because it was like it looked quite silly. But uh, there was a bit where Kanahara is on top in the mountain, and then he he tries an armbar and he just loses his grip on Iliakin's arm. <laughs> yeah. He's like, whoops! <laughs> and like that's just like it made him look a bit foolish. So I assume that wasn't planned. It, did, but it, yeah. it made me it made me <laughs> laugh. And then we get the old weird thing that we had in the um, Tamura hand match where Iliakin seems to have got a heel hook more or less cinched in but apparently not because it doesn't get the tap and and then we get and I, I think it was for this reason that you know, the butterfly lock that we see Iliakin trying to lock in in this match I think it this uh, probably inspired noted shoot style exponent Yoshihashi <laughs> and um but yeah that, I mean I mean I do think that we are contractually obliged to um to to shoehorn um a, a Yoshihashi reference in I mean like uh we are on, in the pay of uh, of big wrestling now, <laughs> um, yeah. and we have to keep the, the Yoshihashi flame alive. <laughs> the greatest <laughs> worker of all time. Yeah, no, we we get it. You only watch New Japan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, they, oh, they. I literally had forgotten Yoshihashi existed until you said that. Uh, Arguably, New Japan watchers do as well, but <laughs> yeah. like I, I don't wish to rag on the guy. He is very much like Exhibit A in the as long as you don't like steal money or or get caught in flagrante, like you like you basically have a job for life uh, at New Japan if you want it. <laughs> very much, just keep yourself on the right in the right side of the tracks, and you you're there. You'll be getting your retirement show in Corican uh, like <laughs> forty five years, no problem. Do you remember when he pinned Kenny Omega in the G1? The year Kenny Omega won the G1. Was it? Was yeah. He, did he? Did he also like Toriano um, not get an IWGP title shot afterwards? Because I'm still better about that. I I I I feel like if Yoshihashi had ever got an IWGP title shot, it would be brought up on approximately a monthly basis on Pro Twitter. After uh, after this butterfly lock, they start trading slaps and. Um, uh, Kanahara drops Iliakin with one for a, a standing four count, um, and then then we get the, the second occasion in which um, Kanahara nonchalantly gets out of an armbar. Um, that was uh, that was nice, and uh, then that leads into a fairly typically abrupt finish in which um, Kanahara tries to kick Iliakin, picks his leg, and then taps him out with some kind of uh, inverted heel hook uh, type thing. Um, so that was that was the that was the end, and then some. Um, Uncharacteristically sportsmanlike uh, behaviour from Iliakin in that he raises uh, Kanahara's hand, I guess, because Kanahara was the debutant and had quite a good showing against a you know, fairly well-established guy uh, in yeah. rings. Um, this match is not going to change your life, but I, I did find it uh, entertaining, and it it was it was damn near a quarter of an hour, um, and which you know is longer than most shoot-style fights tend to go, and I think it filled the time quite well. So kudos uh, kudos to it for that. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I, I didn't think this was, this was that bad at all, to be honest, no. No, I, 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 I think like it's this. one of those ones where if it came on on a YouTube recommendation, 
you'd watch it and you'd enjoy it and you'd say this, yeah. this is really quite good but it's not you know it's not something you're going to be quoting you know every time or anything like that but yeah no a a fun match i really did enjoy the finish where he caught the kick and just put put him into the legs submission i did i did quite enjoy that Um, i'm going to win now yeah exactly (laughs) that's quite funny yeah so that was uh so that was uh that was it yeah i expected this match to be like fairly nondescript and it was but i i I quite i quite enjoyed it so um well we do hope you have enjoyed uh this latest sojourn into the world of um you know shoot style in japan uh which is i think something we like are relatively known for as a podcast insofar as we are we are known for things uh not just not just far left shit posting um but we have some uh we are going to get even deeper into the world of japanese mma which we have um talked about uh you know in pieces in this episode because um in our next episode we are going to be talking about to and i'm using all of the air quotes in the world here mma fights uh we're going to be talking about um fights that were marketed as uh, as full shoots um but for various reasons um you know scurrilous accusations have been thrown around that they were not in fact wholly on the level so we're going to be digging so a little bit within the labor party claims <laughs> <laughs> um so we are going to be we're going to be talking about uh women's wrestling for the first time in this uh uh, in this run and we're going to be talking about women's wrestling in the um the episode after uh so but this one i'm uh and i'm sure david is absolutely champing at the bit to talk about this we're going to be talking about um shinobi kandori versus svetlana gundarenko from uh, oh, lpw yes. oh, uh, their first um I think greatest it's of all L- time greatest L- of all time L- big gig yeah, uh, the L1 tournament, I think it was called, which was uh, kind of LLPW's answer to uh, you know, UFC and uh, all that kind of stuff. And we are also going to be, uh, we are, we are, I'm afraid, going to be talking about Akira Maeda uh, once again, as he took on legendary uh, Olympic wrestling champion uh, and a guy with a record of about 871 and three on the amateur uh, mat, a man who was called the experiment, Alexander Karelin. So uh, we're really looking forward <laughs> to being there talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. Don't read anything into why he was called that. No. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just accept cool. that he was. And then for the final episode, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, you know where you know wrestlers from the former Soviet Union have gone in the uh, in the two thousands, and we'll be talking about a big variety of promotions uh, while we're doing that. So uh, we hope you'll very much enjoy that. We hope you enjoyed this uh, episode as well. It's uh, it's been a little while since we've recorded uh, three of us guys, and it's been very very fun to do so. And uh, so yes, I believe the time has come for us to finish. And uh, but before we sign off, we should do some plugs. So I run a, a party festival podcast called Draw is a Draw. At the time of recording, um, we um, finished the season last week and, and sadly did not go up. But um, we, so by the time this goes out, <laughs> I hate he jokes. Um, by the time this goes out, um, we'll probably not have done much over the last couple of weeks or whatever because it'll just be like an end of season uh, review and then we're doing stuff obviously in the season we're doing a couple of things over the summer um, Wood Fistle have won the European Cup in 1922 stuff like that um, yeah we've got lots of cool stuff we're also kind of a, li- a little bit kind of putting a bit of pressure on the board in terms of regards to fan ownership by kind of putting it in the agenda and keeping it there we've got some stuff about fan ownership and stuff like that um, there is internal squabbling going on shall we say um, at, at the moment and we are kind of just keeping it on the agenda in that way as well as that 
Um, speaking of Thistle, um, there is a um, an aid group um, of socialists who are Thistle fans who have started their own group to help people in the uh, in the sort of Mary Hill community and in Glasgow in general. Um, they're called Jags for Good. They've been doing food bank donations at, um, at games, um, which has been fantastic. I think they got like a, a ton of a literal ton of food um, from the first uh, from the first one that they did. They're also doing a fundraiser to um, buy season tickets for people who are migrants and asylum seekers. Haven't they suffered enough? Ha ha ha, etc. etc. Um, but they're buying season tickets for people who are from sort of migrant backgrounds um, to basically so they can go go to the football because one of the good things about football is that it isn't uh, a good integration tool um, into your new community obviously coming here as a migrant especially here now um, to be honest but um, come, you know, living in the UK as a migrant it can be tough at times I have friends who've been here for many years and they have found it can sometimes be a bit difficult to kind of integrate to the same degree that say someone from Glasgow would they can it can sometimes feel a bit alienating or ostracizing you need people there you need support so they they are buying tickets for um the you know people from migrant communities near Mary Hill to go watch football football's a universal sport people love it and it gets them out you know they, they go do things that they wouldn't normally do they get to meet people they wouldn't normally meet they get to watch football like game everyone loves um and yeah it's just it's just an absolutely wonderful thing I do also enjoy the fact that they, they've decided that it's just really funny to make lots of um, socialist propaganda based on Thistle. So we have the, the liberty, egality, solidarity, John Lambie flag. Um, and it rolls they, off the tongue. It rolls off the tongue. Um, they've got lots of, they were co- uh, quoting um, Camus um, uh, recently <laughs> saying that all, all he knew about you know, socialism was through Partick Thistle and stuff like that, and <laughs> just just uh, just absurdist arts um, about it. And they've painted the Macaulay Che Guevara, um, all that, um, and yeah, it's just it's absolutely wonderful. But um, Jags are good. If you can donate to them, it is a great cause. Um, I know make you know donating so people can go see Partick Thistle doesn't sound like a good thing, but it does really help. <laughs> and again, it helps with food banks and stuff like that as well. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. The other thing as well is I've started a new musical project. It's the most on-brand thing I've ever done called Trialist. And it's um, ambient drone uh, with field recordings of non-league uh, matches over it. Um, I've done one at the moment at Camel and Juniors. I've done a couple other ones recently. A lot of people have really liked it. And yeah, so trialist.bandcamp.com. Go listen to that. It's good fun. I'm doing more later. Yeah, it's great. I should also uh, uh, just add to this um, uh, while we're talking about um, a- action that has been uh, taken against the uh, the political right in this country. Um, uh, the day of, of the recording of this episode was the day that the Margaret Thatcher statue went up in my hometown of Grantham and it received its first pelting with eggs a mere two hours after it was erected. <laughs> stuff. One of the few things that makes you proud to be from Lincolnshire. That makes me proud to be British. <laughs> you know, sir, my, my my dogs are from Grantham and they will be fucking delighted when they hear that tonight. They'll be so proud of their hometown. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That that's going to be their bedtime story. Um, so uh, Daniel, what have you got? Uh, yeah. Um, so let me think. Uh, right. Yeah. So uh, the, the main thing that I'm doing at the moment is that I um I 
produce another podcast um, called The Echo of the Thunder that is about the history and politics of Irish republicanism. Um, by the time this episode comes out, there will be probably four or five of those out. Uh, the most recent one covers the 1969-1970 um, uh, split in the republican movement um, uh, between uh, what would become, uh, become to be known the official and um, uh, provisional IRA and Sinn Féin. Um, that takes you from 19, the end of 1969 up through to 1972, the bloodiest year of the Troubles, um, and uh, the year that the official IRA, uh, uh, well, nominally went on ceasefire uh, and the provisionals declared um, uh, famously the year of victory. That is with um, no less than um, the um, uh, associate, uh, well, uh, the assistant professor of modern Irish history at Trinity College Dublin, Brian Hanley, who um, is one of the foremost experts on Irish Republican history and radical Irish history in general. Um, he's written one of the um, the finest books on the subject, which is The Lost Revolution, the story of the official IRA and the Workers' Party. Um, so, yeah, please give that a listen. Um, we've got um, three previous episodes at the moment that are out, um, uh, all of which I think will, uh, will will be of interest to anyone that has a passing interest in uh, in Irish history and politics, especially that of republicanism. Outside of that, I write for various different places. You can find my work in New Socialist, in Jacobin Magazine, um, on my blog, which is echoandthunder.substack.com, um, Red Pepper Magazine as well. Um, and uh, yeah, outside of that, um, uh, you can get my music at handloomlament.bandcamp.com and um, my radio show uh, goes out uh, monthly on repeater radio. I'm currently about to finish up a six part series uh, sub series, which is called Dance of Days, a secret history of the post hardcore underground, which takes you from uh, the revolution summer of mid 80s um, Washington, D.C. and the likes of Fugazi and Rites of Spring um, and Embrace um, straight through to well, all the way through to the early 2000s and just about every single sub generic mutation of that music you can imagine. Um, I'm told that um, someone from um, mall pop punk slurry all just dickheads paramore uh is doing a uh, a big um uh, the story of emo show on bbc uh, uh sounds uh, uh, soon which um lots of pedo adjacent people are creaming their knickers over um i um i implore you instead i'm not cutting that john i implore you instead to listen to me ruthlessly gatekeep you um, on repeater radio instead and by gatekeeping i mean it to mean what most people mean it to these days where as in what most shit libs mean it to uh, mean these days which is someone has mildly disagreed with me about music and they have taste that isn't fucking bogging uh so yeah um come listen to that instead it'll be better than whatever that shite is um that's enough for me i think you'll all agree <laughs> yes yeah do give daniel's podcast a listen and and david of course um both of them they are very judicious in uh, choosing their guests, um, which is a, a great strength, as well as, uh, you know, their own great analysis and insight. Speaking of uh, podcast guests who are not judiciously chosen, uh, both Daniel and myself recently appeared on the Leftover podcast, uh, which is a thoroughly good time. Uh, a It's a it's sort of, I guess, a, it's a sort of hard left podcast about uh, politics and, and culture and um, all sorts of stuff. What is Daniel the hard left, Chris? What is the hard left? Who are the hard left? Uh, yeah. Daniel talked about um, Irish Republicanism. I talked about the uh, arguably even more contentious topic of professional wrestling. Um, you, I tell you what, you have not lived until you have been able to describe the Mohammed Hassan gimmick to two people who are not <laughs> hitherto familiar with it. That is one of the funniest passages of podcasting I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's 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 just it's just incredible. Like it's just it's just the bit at which. I mentioned that in 2005 there was a wrestler called Muhammad Hassan and the other two guys both grown just yeah. based on that name because they know what the character is going to be like. 
Uh, but yes, it's um, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's a good time. Uh, I I talked about um, such things as um, Louis' relationship with Saudi Arabia, uh, wrestlers who've gone into politics, such as uh, Jesse Ventura and Antonio Noki. There's the there's the other guy who um, um, engendered oh. quite a lot of incredulity from uh, yeah. my fellow speakers. Um, and and, rightly so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the idea that kayfabe, uh, the concept of kayfabe, is actually a very good way of. Uh, explaining why the, the the phenomenon of UK journalists pretending to be dumb for political expediency. So that's really good. You should check that out. Um, uh, as far as I just want to know when the the leftover pod are going to have me on to complete the set for the dialectic of the cinch. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, 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 to be fair, I would I would legit uh, listen to that. I would imagine that um, part of this legend Jack Storer would be uh, a very similar figure to Inoki oh, in, in, uh, <laughs> in confusing the fuck out of people um, a wild time that would be uh, yes you can follow us at Puro Podcast on Twitter follow us on SoundCloud uh, iTunes you can get all our episodes on Stitcher now there's a bit of a glitch where you can only get the most recent ones but uh, that seems to have been uh, fixed uh, com- com- comrade at Sandre the Giant is currently uh, he listens to stuff on Stitcher he's currently making his way through all of our back catalogue if you want to talk to yourself with that you can do so as well on Stitcher Radio um, <laughs> find some of our writings at I maintain the double foot stomp is silly dot com um, you can also you can buy my novel <laughs> The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan, um, which has received uh, good reviews. You can uh, follow my Twitch, um, uh, twitch.tv forward slash Lord Tempai, L-O-R-D-T-E-N-P-A-I, where I stream mostly Mahjong on Thursday nights. I sometimes do like um, deck building games as well. Um, I might do a bit of Pokemon at some point. Also, uh, currently, at the time of recording these uh, weekends, I stream games that I'm playing in this uh, Australian Mahjong League, thankfully online, not in person, because that would be a very expensive commute. Um, And I am not doing that well at the moment, but it's not abysmal. We will will take it at the end of the day. So um, I think that's roundabout everything that I have to plug. So thank you very, very much for having listened to episode 26 of the Poem podcast. We shall see you next time. We're going to talk about some quote-unquote MMA. All right, see you. Bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 partigiano, portami via, che mi sento di
shall we shall we uh begin yes <laughs> so we've, we've got to like eight haven't we uh, no about half seven so basically oh, okay. it's, it's your right. version semi-final tonight so we then it starts at eight, that, so okay we that's what i was like Oh, oh yeah, because it's um, it's a, it's this, is it, it's this Saturday that's the finals, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say. Um, actually, do you know who's third favourite to win? Is it us? Yes, it is. It's well, never happening. Can you like, you know, when you short a stock, so you bet against it doing well. Can you do <laughs> yeah. that with like, because like, bet against the UK to win. Like, I don't care if we're the runaway odds on favour. Everyone hates us, and with good reason. Yeah. And yeah. also, there could be a massive Ukrainian sympathy vote. So, like, oh, of course, like yeah. yeah, everybody but Ukrainian stupid odds. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like the fifth favourite is like a hundred to one. I did wonder when you said, "Oh, I need to be away by eight and just thinking like, that's a, a, a very late shift <laughs> picked up. Um, Thousands of tears later. So, how how are you guys doing? Well, I, I was just saying, David, I'm just, just traumatised after those two football matches. But like, oh God, yeah. Jesus. But other than, other than that, good. Like, um, Did you watch yeah. your version yesterday, Daniel? I, I haven't yet. A bit like when you when you tape a, a big football match. I've saved it for tonight. Oh, good grief. I'm, I'm, oh, good I'm, grief. I'm but, but gonna... it, I had it spoiled, so I, I know that. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm I not going to lie. I'm not going to lie, lads. I felt better. <laughs> oh, no. Like, I, I had fully went from, well, I'll take second last right now. Before. Yeah. I was like, we might do okay, and then I watched the performance. And I was like, I really like the song. It's better than that, and I did end up singing it up going up the road drunk on Friday night. So I got always a good sign of a song, and I was like, right, it's brilliant. I, I do really enjoy it now. And then like the the first twelve went to us, and I was like, lads, what what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, our, our token twelve, that's fine. And then just. Like it just kept going, and I was in an absolute state by the end. And we had to pause it for 25 minutes. Just sat there going, "We fucking won, lads! Like this is done." Yeah, yeah. and then and then Ukraine got like basically 12 points from every single public vote. I also think this might be the most I've supported the United Kingdom <laughs> possibly yeah. my entire life in any pursuit whatsoever i was i was so on board we ruled the but waves where did, um, for where, 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 did I, where did ireland finish Out ireland didn't get through the semi-final oh didn't they oh, it's I a shame that the, the last year was really nice it was oh, see, just... I, I never watched the semi-finals or anything or anything before it so i just i just end up turning it on and then seeing who's in well a lot a lot of the like a lot of the sort of wackier entries got eliminated i think the wars made everyone sad so there was just like a lot of like my first eurovision as a queer and there was a like distinct lack of camp Oh, like, well, it can't is... be any worse than that. What was that fucking awful? Was it Lithuanian one or something? If you had that maudlin fucking opera twat that was singing a ballad, it was awful. It was fucking terrible. Uh, I can't. I can't. I, I mean, I, I mean I, you're I, going to have to narrow that down. I was, <laughs> yeah. I, I was. I was just there, like the, all the ballads. Like I basically went went or like, oh, I was appalled and very nearly walked out. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, but right. like Luke was asking to be, a, to, be a, to be on a Eurovision program. <laughs> Luke asked the question: Has any nation benefited from their place in the running order more than Moldova did this year? 
Right, I have, been, I have, I and pardon the pun, I have been in the Moldova train literally since day one, since the day the song came out. I've been it's like, this really, is the best. I love it. It's so good, right? And I have pestered all my friends and my wife, basically bullied them into liking the Moldova song for sheer attrition. And then um, Mark Mark Wallace even messaged me going, "This song is amazing." I'm like, "I know it is. It's the best." And then the people we were with, uh, friends' mum messaged going. I think my favourite was Moldova. I'm like, well, of course it was, because it's the best. But the, the, if for all the heartbreaking things of the UK and all that, like, how did Romania not give Moldova 12? Moldova literally wrote a song <laughs> about how, how great it is to go on the train to Romania because they love Bucharest. This the entire song was about that. And then they're like, nah, no points, lads. And you're like, you, you can tell like the- us going... It's me putting out a song called How Amazing Is Bulgaria? And in Bulgaria, giving us zero points, you know, sunny beach, Varna, Levski, Sofia, all the stars are here. You, you could tell the, uh, the the coach to the British Army have started to bite because we only got three from Cyprus. <laughs> <laughs> Get more squaddies there. Moldova was very much very much like yeah, that story Brian Alvarez um, tells about the UFC show he went to where the first 10 fights went went to the judges and then Lyoto Machida got a knockout with like one second left of the first round and the place came absolutely unglued just because something was happening like that was Moldova last night like everyone went wild for it because it wasn't a shit ballad like the last seven or eight songs I'm I, I just imagining like 10 rounds of like uh, of like Rose Namahunas versus Colorus <laughs> like Yeah, and then, ten, and then ten fights worth here's, of that. Here's this like, weird God. bluegrass scar. <laughs> so good, it's so like, good, but um, yeah, no, but I, def- I definitely encourage you to watch it. Um, Spain, great cardio. What a great cardio card. on the Spanish lass. Great, yes. great, great, yeah. Great, yeah. Great, great yeah. Great yeah. Athleticism on, on display, Daniel. Good grief. <laughs> the, the any, 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 any striation? Quite, quite striation. It wasn't I, like the 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 um the the year of the, the of the Polish butter churning milkmaids. Very suggestively churning. Halcyon days. Well, my saw, my my favourite entry ever is a long forgotten uh, Greek entry in which they all dressed like bionic robots. Uh, and I, I can't remember what, narrow it down. I can't remember what year it was, but it has my favourite piece of Eurovision commentary ever because it's never going to be. You're never going to better with Terry Wogan's uh, time at the helm. You know, you're never going to bet that no. Terry Wogan's time at the helm because, uh, you know, with with his with his cheeky little spam javelin uh, protruding out of his white 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 trousers on points of view, um, he would you know come up with some absolute zingers. So my, my personal, it was the understated way that he would uh, would just cut things down to size. So the Greeks did this like ridiculous sort of like uh, sort of sub craftwork thing where they all look like the military like military muscle men toys um, and they're dancing about and then it just stops. And Wogan just leaves it with a, a perfect bit of community, community timing, about 10 seconds of silence. And he just goes, ah, the Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so good when this game put Terry Wogan in a studio with a bottle of Jack Daniels yeah. and just and just let him have it. Like, um, it, it's uh, it's it's like, have you ever seen the video of Andy Cole's single being played on Match of the Day? And it finishes uh, uh, and Mark Lawrence just says, well, that was absolute toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you know it was outstanding actually, outstanding Mark. yeah uh, had that on Tony Khan Banks Dogs Wednesday before yes yeah, yeah. I was going to say Terry Wogan one of the uh, the few BBC radio DJs that it was absolutely probably safe to leave in a room with a, a bottle of Jack Daniels and say let's ha- uh, get, get at it you know yeah, but, yeah um, indeed yeah I, um, um, yeah no, um, oh, what, 
there, there was something I was going to mention um, about that, and it's totally escaped my mind. Oh no, my my favorite piece of your vision commentary is uh, it, Graham Norton once pulled out one, and it was um, um, song number twenty two is an incre- is an incredible p- uh, piece of Europop, high energy. It'll get everyone going. You'll absolutely love it. Amazing. This is song twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that that's incredible. I remember like there was um one the the the, the Swedish the guy, the Swedish guy who like did the televotes was clearly a little bit out of it, and Terry Woker was just going, "Are you by any chance related to the director general of Swedish television?" <laughs> No, oh, um, there we go. Um, we will we go for this then? Yes. So we are going yeah. to just scoot back to the Akira Maeda match. Yes, against Kopolov. Kopolov. Yep. Yeah. Kopolov. Yes. So we'll as I'll, I'll do the intro for it, and then we'll um, we'll we'll go with it. Ooh. 